I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, back with our series, fixing every team in five minutes or so. Time to go with the AFC and NFC Wests on this show, Sam. Yep, let's go. Shout out to Brad Spielberg, a great job on the show yesterday. Breaking down free agency, mm-hmm. preview and everything. Good discussion. If you haven't seen it yet, go check that out. Um, but yeah, he did a good job. And we've got, uh, the people are asking. Everybody's asking for Brad to come out here for uh, free agency week. All Everybody. The people, everybody's asking. Okay. So uh, we might do that. We might try to get Brad out here and we'll uh, do some free agency live. All right. From, uh, from the studio, which might be uh, the biggest stories might be players getting released, like Robert Woods getting released. Or traded. Or traded. You know, so that could be the biggest stories that week. So uh, we'll be covering that wall to wall. And congratulations to us. We have a new award. We are officially. Mm-hmm. An award-winning podcast. Yes. So congratulations to the PFF NFL podcast. It's our own award, and we just claimed it, but yeah. sure. It's all right. We've won an award. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's the trophy that you see that looks like a, a Heisman. Maybe we'll explain it at a later date, but it doesn't matter. We've won an award. A little bit like a Heisman. A little bit. I mean, Strange it's like Heisman. A, it's as heavy as a Heisman. It is. That's about it. Yeah. Multiple people on it instead of one. Mm-hmm. And a ring. For Going some for a ring. It's like half Olympics, half Heisman. Yeah. So there you go. And now it's ours. It's ours. All right, you ready to get into this? Mm-hmm. Starting with, this is going to be great. We get the two Western divisions. The Broncos and the Seahawks are going to be discussed on this show. On the same day, there's a report. So we're going to start breaking down the Denver Broncos. On the same day that there's a report via The Athletic, multiple sources or multiple uh, reporters on this. But the source sources say, Russell Wilson asked for Pete Carroll and... Seahawks GM to be fired. Yep. QB denies report. He does. He has denied the QB report. QB being Russell Wilson. Yes. John Schneider being the, the uh, GM. It also has a ton of other information about just what a weird, presumably unprecedented setup like Russell Wilson had in Denver. You know, we knew about the whole own office thing, but his own support staff, an open door policy with his teammates, which is good. You know, you got to keep the lines of communication going. Um, do you think he sets? Did he? Did it? I didn't get to read the whole thing. Does it? Does he set office hours in his calendar? I, I haven't like read here, it. Yet. Just if you need, if you need to talk to me, just you know, hit up my. I calendar. don't imagine he uses the calendar. Like he's got people for that. That's what the staff. Oh, is true. For. So you but know, they're telling. Like if DK wants to get in there and talk about you know some some route adjustments right. or something, it's like oh, just find a spot on my calendar with my well, assistant. To there's the assistant. an open door policy to the office, but that will only admit you as far as my people. They will then determine whether or not you get access. To the face, to the FaceTime, you know? I don't deal with that. I don't have any idea what my schedule looks like. That's what my people are for. I have an open-door policy to the office, but then the people will have to determine if you get further than that and you get into the real inner sanctum and get to talk to Russ. Has a, has a receptionist or multiple receptionists. Yeah, PA, you know, whatever they are. Anyway, we're into the so – we're, we're, so we're breaking down the Broncos. Obviously, the big story is going to be they were, they were bad. 
this year. Mm. Sean Payton's coming in. Uh, they just brought back uh, Vance Joseph yes. as, as defensive coordinator. Right. So one of the the few the few people in history to That's have be a little weird, right? Um, I think um, Dr. Eric always has good historical information. He said uh, Wade Phillips has done it, and um, I can't remember. There was the the last person who did it was 2016. Who was uh, oh um, former PFFer, late great Gunther Cunningham? Oh, Gunther. Yes, Gunther was the head coach of the Chiefs. So what, what we're trying to stumble through here is people who have been the head coach and then come back as a coordinator. Yeah. Right. Gunther Cunningham was the head coach of the Chiefs and came back five years later as the defensive coordinator. That's what Vance Joseph is doing here with the Broncos. Mm-hmm. So. Off season for the Broncos. What are we looking at here, man? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the biggest thing they need to achieve is actually not a personnel thing. It's not a roster move that we've been talking about for everybody else. It is Sean Payton sitting down and figuring out how to fix Russell Wilson in more detail than his outlined sketch to, you know, Colin Cowherd when he was appearing on his show of just, well, we just, you know, we see what Russ does well and we do more of that. Well, all right, <laughs> on you go. That's the job now. You listen to words. Maybe too much. You listen to coach speak a lot. You buy was, into coach speaking. He was speak a coach speaking. It was, it was relevant. What? He was a coach speaking. It yeah. was relevant. No, no, no. But you, like, you try to, you try to like look into the deeper meaning of the words. Like, oh, that's not enough, Sean. Just doing what he does well. Yeah. There's obviously going to be more to it. Right. I mean, so my question with the marriage, right, is, is Sean Payton's known, most known for working with Drew Brees, who's a completely different style quarterback. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they have in common is being short. Yes. That's it. But as far as timing and rhythm and the way Breeze operated versus how Russell Wilson has operated has been completely different. And the thing that went, you know, off you know, off kilter last year was trying to plug Russell Wilson into just an offense. And for all the for all the the pushback in Seattle for not letting Russ cook and all those things through the years. They did always seem to come back to, okay, we're going to run a little bit more play action. We do want to run the ball, run a more vertical passing offense, and play to Russell Wilson's skill set. Now, that doesn't mean that Sean Payton can't do that, but it just his offense has been different, other than maybe when he had Taysom Hill. You know, like stylistically, Russell Wilson's closer to Taysom Hill than Drew Brees. Yeah, true. Stylistically. Yes. Quality-wise, it's different. It's a safe space for comparisons here. Safe space for comparisons here. We're not going to have our social media team going rogue and say. I mean, that I can't promise. Steve's big comp for Russell Wilson is Taysom Hill. I merely control the PFF NFL podcast reaction. I don't control what the social guys do or the clip people who can, by all means, chop that up. People on Twitter who are like, here's here's PFF Steve. Hey, old takes exposed. Throw a label on it. You know, a TikTok caption, Russell Wilson equals Taysom Hill, says at PFF underscore Steve. That's what I said. I can't control that. That may or may not happen. So the other part of that rumor was that Russ's plan, had he got the leadership fired in Seattle, was mm. to pair up with Sean Payton. How was, was he going to swing that? Sean Payton was a free agent last year, right? They were going to La- trade for him. Wasn't that part of it? Didn't I see that as part of the report? I haven't, I haven't read this article. It's a monster. I only saw it this morning, and we had things to do. So text, I haven't actually... Text Sando. He wrote it. Let's see if that's... Uh... <laughs> I haven't gone through it yet. Um I but think this that was, was part of it as well. Peyton, Someone correct me. Hang on. He was retiring at the end. This was when he was still with the Saints, surely. Last year No, this Seattle. was last year at this time. Sean Peyton had already Last year down. at this time? Yes. 
But I, no, the people he wanted fired were the people in Seattle. Yes, before they traded him last year at this time. So, the I believe, this, I believe the timeline. We're doing poor job here, but I believe the timeline was like early off season. It was like if this was true, okay, Russ was hoping for changes in Seattle and to get Sean Payton to come in there. From whereas actually he lost the power struggle, and they went, "Oh, coming coming for the king." Correct. We're going to trade your. It ass may out have of here. started before that. I don't know. We'll. I mean, we'll have better sources. We'll. We'll read it later, when we have time. Who'd have thought? Stuff. Who'd have thought Pete Carroll was really you know Julius Caesar back there? Just sees the, sees the knife coming, sidesteps, and instead, boots him out of the building. Yep, that's what he did. So what else about the rest of the Broncos? Is there? Um, when when Russ signed last year at this time, mm-hmm. nobody predicted disaster. Right. Nobody yeah. predicted disaster. Right. We said we hedged a little bit and said, hey, you know, there's been a decline in play from Russell Wilson the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Buyer beware on that in that respect. But it seemed like a good situation, like a good team to go to. The Broncos narrative was the roster's ready. All they need is a quarterback. They've been dealing with bridge quarterbacks for a couple of years. The playmakers are there. The great Tim Patrick, who ended up getting hurt. Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, Jerry Judy. The pieces are in place for Russell Wilson. Nothing worked. Is this the right receiving core for him? Him and Jerry Judy had a much better connection down the stretch there. Is there a certain type of receiver that he needs? Is there a certain type of style? What is Sean Payton going to do to get the best out of Russ? We're trying to fix the Broncos, and we're going to start by saying, how do you get the best out of Russ if you're you know, Payton in the offensive coaching staff? Yeah, I don't think there's a specific style of receiver that he's missing or that isn't in this group or that they need to go out and acquire because Russ needs this type of guy. Like, Figuring out how the hell to make Russ a viable quarterback again is job one. But I think the pieces in terms of receiving core are still good. Now, we're in this world of not quite understanding how good they are or can be because they haven't yet had the quarterback play capable of fairly evaluating it, I would say. Like Jerry Judy has some of the best numbers in the NFL against man coverage. That route-running ability he has gets him open really, really well against man coverage. Um, Cortland Sutton has an incredible skill set to be an effective receiver. Tim Patrick has got a good one. K.J. Hamler with that deep speed. Theoretically, the pieces are there for this to be really good. But they're very unproven in general, and it's difficult to parse, well, how much of that is the fact that their quarterbacks have been Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, Russell Wilson playing badly, and how much of it is actually we're kind of overhyping how good this receiving core is. We're working on theoretical skill sets rather than what they've actually shown. And maybe they aren't as good as we think they are. But yeah, I mean, it, was, it was always based a little bit on potential. But I think but. you kind of have to work with that because they're young. They have got this skill set. And Russell Wilson is objectively pay, playing badly. So I think you yeah. probably have to assume that group is good enough if you fix him. Yeah, I just remember, you know, we talk about the Peyton thing. When they signed Jimmy Graham, traded for Jimmy Graham, I remember talking to people saying, look, Jimmy Graham, you know, he worked with Drew Brees, who's a timing specialist, right? And um, they worked the back shoulder game and all that stuff. And other than what they had, like, one year where he had a bunch of touchdowns, they were just never on the same page, right? They just weren't there stylistically. I, I don't know if that's the case in Denver. I think they can make it work. So let's start with that. I also wonder if Sean Payton, who, again, is probably going to call upon his time building an offense around Drew Brees, who was awesome, but, of course, had the height limitation – and we know how the Saints used to get monster guards to protect him. They tried to really make sure that they were sturdy up front um, on the interior three uh, for passing lanes and all that. The Broncos have uh, three out of their five 
uh, starters returning, but center Lloyd Cushenberry has struggled in his two years. Dalton Reisner, the starting left guard, he's a free agent. I wonder if they're going to go down that path. Isaac Sayomalu is the top guard on our board and one of the better pass-protecting guards in the league. I wonder if that's something that they're just going to really focus on and say, we've been a little weak on the interior from a pass-protection standpoint, or even forget about what they've been. We want to make sure we're stout there. I wonder if Sayomalu might be one of those free agent targets here for the Broncos. Yeah, they definitely need to address the offensive line at this point. Um, they've got a couple of starters heading to free agency. The They've got a couple of guys um, outside of that that you could think about upgrading. I think Garrett Bowles at left tackle. I think Quinn Miners at right guard. Those guys are good. They're set. Don't need to mess with that. The other three spots, I think, are up in the air, and you could upgrade all three of them, and they at least need to come away with a better answer at two of them so that I think is probably their big offseason project the defense is in good shape it was amazing last year it had a lot of injuries as well um, the receiving core I think is good enough Russell Wilson that you're stuck with you're going to need to add a running back at some point because Javante Williams his knee injury sounds like it's more serious than it was initially thought of so he might not be back at the start of the year you might have to have a replacement for a while but the offensive line, I think, is the big thing. From a resource standpoint, Broncos middle of, the, middle of the pack as far as effective cap space goes and only five draft picks, of course, because of the Russell Wilson trade. They will pick at 67 and 68 back-to-back. They have the Colts' second-round pick there at 67. Second-round pick? Is that late second? Uh, That's a third. Yeah, third. Um, so they don't pick till 67. Um, <clears throat> so most of their work is going to have to be, the, again – repeating myself, second wave of free agency. Um, Why do we suggest that for every team? Because it's probably the best play and because there's not a whole lot of splash players out there. Yeah, it's also pretty much all of free agency this year. But like Sayomalu feels like a great target for them as a pass-protecting guard. If they don't bring back Dalton Reisner, I think he's he's fine. He's solid, but Sayomalu could uh, perhaps improve from a a pass-pro standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, Ethan Poshik from uh, the center as well, if they want to upgrade on Cushenberry. He's number 58 on a free agent board. You know, again, if they want to shore things up up front, they might want to go to free agency for a couple new starters there in Denver. They'd be an interesting team for Mike McGlinchey, um, who's got to be like the top right yeah. tackle available in free agency and a guy that might actually command a pretty decent chunk of money. Denver has the chunk of money to be able to spend on it. Um, and as we said, have a pretty solid need of wanting to make sure the offensive line is in good shape so that Russell Wilson has some shot of panning out this year. They were they are a team that might actually be willing to spend on the offensive line this season or offseason. Sorry, is the draft board, are we missing their – they got a first-rounder for Bradley Chubb, right? Yeah. Am I, are we missing that? In so they the, dealt it to New Orleans. Oh, for Peyton. I'm sorry. I'm losing my mind here. Of course. That's how they got Sean Payton. They traded Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton, basically. Right. Which is great. That works out well. Um defensively um they've done a nice job building that secondary patrick sertan's one of the best in the league at corner justin simmons out there at safety they do have a hole at the other safety spot kareem jackson's a free agent and then up front guys like deshaun williams and draymond jones right it's another team where on paper the depth chart is largely intact Mm -hmm. right which is great so you know add some depth as far as the defensive line goes i don't know how much they want to maybe pursue an edge rusher. Uh, it's Randy Gregory and Baron Browning right now because they traded Bradley Chubb. Baron Browning showed flashes. He had that game against the Colts where he Not was just incredible. Flashes. What the hell? Like he went 
He had a month. He he's like yeah. edge rusher. Um, the Travis Fulgham. Yeah, he's yeah. like edge rusher Travis Fulgham for like a month. He was the best edge rusher in the NFL statistically. Had the best pass rush, win rate in the league was incredible. Pressure rate absolutely crushed. Was it the Colts he was destroying that game? Um, he had like a month long stretch where he looked absolutely incredible, and it wasn't. You know, sometimes guys have an incredible run of production or or play where you're like, all right, this is not really real. You know, it's sort of a lot of fake pressure or, or pressure that wasn't necessarily sustainable. He was just absolutely kicking ass for like a month and then stopped and then didn't start again. What? Yeah. What? How does that make any sense? I mean, he's, he's super twitchy and undersized for an edge, right? He's like a, a hybrid linebacker, so I don't know if the league just caught up to him, but... He feels like the guy that's a better number three rusher. Even Nick Benito, last year's second rounder, another guy that's undersized and probably more of a complimentary rusher than an every-down player. Mm -hmm. Would Sean Payton go to the Marcus Davenport well, right? Our top defensive free agent this year, right? Him and Hargrave. Would he go to Marcus Davenport as that guy opposite Randy right. Gregory? I, I like that fit potentially I mean, for Denver. An interesting test of, you know, who was driving that particular trade when the yeah. New Orleans Saints jumped back in the, uh, up in the first round, trading a future first to, to take Marcus Davenport in the first place. That's a huge investment in a first round player. Was that Sean Payton loving this guy or was that Mickey Loomis? Uh, there's a lot of that, right? How much was Sean Payton? How much was Mickey Loomis in New Orleans? Right? Are, the, are the Broncos, um, George Payton's the, the GM there, but are the Broncos, like is Sean Payton the one behind the, uh, the credit card debt? Right. In, in New Orleans, right? Is that part of his style? The fact that they were always getting, they had a type on the defensive line, a bunch of six, 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 seven guys. They love the length and the size and the freak athletes up front on the defensive line. Who doesn't? But, you know, the Saints went out of their way to get those types, including Marcus Davenport. I am, I am very interested in, because by all accounts, Sean Payton was very much involved in the uh, personnel decisions there, you know, in, in collaboration with Mickey Loomis. I do wonder how much of that he brings to Denver. So, there's a couple free agents for them to target. I, I think if you're going to keep the roster strong over the next couple of years, because you, you're not getting rid of Russell Wilson if it doesn't work, if you're going to keep the roster strong, I think turning those five draft picks into eight or nine would be wise to you know trade down, get those get those middle round players, use the draft model, and uh, and get some good get, get some good mid round steals here in uh, in Denver. Use the model. Yeah, I mean, if you want to increase your hit rate, you would use the PFF draft model. Do they have the model? I can't. Well, we're going to talk to everybody at the Combine next week oh. and make sure that they have the information that they need okay. heading into the draft. We're going to talk to every team. We're going to sit down with them at the Combine and talk about what they're doing, what they're doing with our stuff, where else we can uh, fill some holes, bridge some gaps. Sound good? Mm -hmm. So maybe. Maybe they do. Can I interest you in a draft model? Can I interest you in a draft model? Might be one of my slides. Draft model? Question mark? You want to see it? <laughs> Are you interested in uh, adding more wins to your team? Maybe you should draft better. Here's how you could do it. Um, I remember when I was studying the draft model, the Saints, the best, uh, the best team at adding war at non-quarterback positions. Hmm. So they, they do have a good history. The Saints and the Chiefs were the two best there. So, again, how much was uh, Sean Payton involved in that process? Yeah. They, they've done a really good job scouting in New Orleans. Is that all Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland? Is it that team? Is it a combination? Did Sean Payton have a help there? We'll see what happens here with Denver. All right, did we fix the Broncos? Uh, that's really Sean Payton's job. We, we merely helped it along. What is this show even? What? 
What is the show? We're supposed to fix every team. I know, but like, there's no fi- you're stuck with him. You're stuck with Russ, and it, it, the coach needs to fix him. We'll have other time for predictions and all that stuff, but I, I think Sean Payton will – I think Russ will be better next year. Couldn't be much worse. The PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. I did it that time without looking. Yeah? It was mostly off the top of my head. It's kind of like I don't... I mean, mostly. I, I glanced just to make sure. So you did. But I was, it was off the top of my head. It's kind of like I don't know directions to anywhere anymore because I've always got the map up and you just you don't have to remember anymore. Mm. It's just always there. It's kind of like how my Western and Southern ad reads. There's something to that. I, got, I had very good mental arithmetic in school until they gave us a calculator. And then my brain went, well, you don't need to know that anymore because yeah. there's a thing right here yeah. that will teach you. Like, you put any numbers you want into it. It'll tell you the answer. But school's just about, so it's immediately, about memorizing. It's about training yeah. your brain. But my brain immediately just junked any form of mathematical ability from that point onwards. Untrained and brain. And I think, though. you know, Google Maps, satellite navigation has done that as well for your ability to get places. Like, if you don't yes. have maps, you can't get anywhere anymore. You don't need to remember how to get there because the map will tell you. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know my way around Cincinnati, right? At all, I don't know how to get to your house. I just plug it in the map. That's <laughs> I, it. I can get to your house now, just about. But there are definitely places that I've been before multiple times that I would have no shot at getting to without Google Maps. All right, let's fix the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, that should be easy. <laughs> Super Bowl champs. Uh, the Chiefs are next up. Uh, we might not need to spend a whole bunch of time here. Now, free agency. What do they need to figure out here? Well, Andrew uh, Wiley and more importantly, Orlando Brown, both free agents here. At tackle, Michael Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster. They brought Juju in on the one-year deal, so he's going to hit free agency for the third straight year here. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Juan Thornhill at safety and Derek Nottie at defensive tackle. The most impressive thing about the Chiefs, um, and so I want to start with this, right? Because the Chiefs won, sometimes we look back and we're like, well, everything they did must have been perfect and must be right, right? And they, and they won. Um, therefore, they don't have much to do. But we... They, they, it was unbelievable what the Chiefs did this year because it was, it felt like more of a transition year. They're going to take a step back before they go for, step take take a step forward. I think they'll be better next year, but we can't just, you know, it's a it's a slim margin, right? They won the Super Bowl by three points. They won the AFC Championship by three points. It doesn't mean everything. Like, there's a fine line between them like, them losing in the AFC Championship, but everything that they did to put themselves into this position, I think, was proven to be correct which was build the line, get younger, take a chance trading Tyreek Hill, rely on Patrick Mahomes, have him develop and get even better, and the Chiefs are just well set up for the future here. Well, their process was so good that they even did the thing that you would do for every NFL team, which is put John Ross on the roster. Bring him in. Yeah. See what ha- See what four two four speed can do. Just, just roll the dice and Chiefs see what. Chiefs did a lot of uh, PFF-y things. Yeah. Drafted, drafted a lot of players we liked on the draft board last year. Brought John Ross in because who knows? <laughs> added volume at receiver. Like I would take all the Kadarius Tonys for a mid-round pick every single time. Yeah, there was a lot of smart moves there. Right. The one thing that I wouldn't do is I was scared. I was scared to lose Tyree Kill. Mm-hmm. I was scared to see what would happen if you depleted the receiving core. Because if we're, when we talk about you have Mahomes on the team, the only comparisons there are the other elite quarterbacks through the years. What happens to Brady and Rodgers and Peyton Manning? 
And all of those elite quarterbacks certainly had years where they didn't have elite playmakers and they still produced. But when you knew they were going to be in the Super Bowl was the years where all the playmakers were intact and the Chiefs took that risk, right? And it still paid, it still paid, off, uh, paid off for them. Yeah, there would be an interesting like side-by-side case study to be done of uh, Tyreek Hill plus $30 million a year versus what they ended up replacing him with and, and the changes, et cetera. Obviously, they won a Super Bowl in the, the actual way it went, but I'm not sure they wouldn't have won one if they'd gone the other route as well. Uh, sure. The only real question mark is, you know, to what extent was offloading Tyreek Hill a success because it actually changed the way teams were defending Kansas City? Like, I think it's become pretty clear that Tyreek Hill was the driving force behind all those two high coverage looks that they were facing, and they got better at attacking those anyway, but would it have been still problematic if they got Tyreek Hill and they were therefore seeing those way more this season um, than they were with this collection of Valdez, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big thing was, and we said there, there's a possibility here before the season that Patrick Mahomes gets better as a quarterback because he relies on not Tyreek Hill. And I think the Chiefs did a great job saying they found a weakness and they made it better. I mean, hasn't that been the, hasn't that been the story of Mahomes' career? Um, there was something going around the other day about a letter that he sent to every yeah. NFL team, right? It was like an open letter yeah. just before the draft. So these are these are interesting, right? Because um, also in the news was uh, Davis Webb became <laughs> the QB coach yeah. for Russell Wilson at 28 years old, which we didn't discuss during the Broncos section, right? So Davis Webb had one of those he has, stories. He started a game like a couple of months ago. And yeah, he did start it. Now he's the Denver QB coach. All I'm saying is like the Mahomes letter where everybody's like, well, how couldn't you draft this guy? He sent a letter to every NFL team. True. But in that letter, he said, hey, I know how to improve, which is interesting, right? Like that is what you're looking for in a player, and he, and he's backed that up. Mm-hmm. But you can't like – you can't be like, well, every time somebody goes above and beyond, I'm going to have to draft that guy because a couple examples. Uh, Johnny Football sent a text message to Jerry Jones when he was on the clock at pick 21 or whatever it was in the 2014 draft. And he said, quote, let's wreck this league, end quote. That's a baller move. Yeah. Good it's a Johnny. Big-time baller move. Yeah. Right? The touchy-feely evaluator in me is like, this guy's got it. We're going to wreck this league. Let's like do that. it. Pick Johnny Football. Mm-hmm. That may not have worked out. Then you have the Davis Webb stories. The guy that, like, you, you had to – pry him out of the film room. You had to get him out of the film room. And then uh, Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl just said this week, Davis Mills, Davis uh, Webb. I'm going to keep saying that. Davis Webb. I've said Webb this entire time, right? Yes. Okay, good. That was the first Mills. Webb flew to the Senior Bowl three days early to get acclimated to the uh, time change. (laughs) Only guy that's ever done that. It's not easy going from West Coast to East Coast. It's a really early wake-up call in the Senior Bowl, so he went and got acclimated. Davis Webb had all of the it stuff, right? Like, if you're looking for who's the craziest person that's going to be like the next Tom Brady that's like so obsessed, it was Davis Webb. Mm. And uh, it didn't matter at all. No. Johnny Football's thing didn't matter. So, sorry, quick uh, quick got sidetracked there a little bit. But the, the Mahomes letter did prove to be predictive, right? He did get better every year at Texas Tech. And the phrase we use all the time is he literally did make his weaknesses into – you know, at least good or strengths in the NFL. And he kind of did that this year with how they attacked, they changed their offense, right? How they attacked 
deep coverages and you know attack the underneath. Yeah. I mean, he's so been good a, for the Chiefs. He's been really good all along at understanding where he needs to improve and getting better at that stuff. And that's why he's so ridiculously impossible to stop is you know, I've, I've made this point over and over that one of the things that defines greatness is can you adjust to the NFL adjusting to you? Because that happens to everybody. Nobody is able to do the same thing for 10, 15 years and it work all the way along because the league is too good at understanding how to stop that kind of stuff. Certainly the more modern you get, the better they are at understanding how to combat any individual player. So what what is maybe the, like Tom Brady's legacy to me is not as good as it is because he did it for 23 years and simply longevity of 23 years is incredible. Why that is incredible to me is that that's 23 years of teams looking at Brady tape, understanding what he does well and taking that away. And then him having to go, oh crap, now I need to change and evolving. And it's just this constant 23 years of revolution to change his entire game. So we've had three or four different iterations of Tom Brady, not just three or four Hall of Fame careers, but completely different versions of Brady where he's seen what the league has done, changed his game, and hit him again and won another Super Bowl. Mahomes, I think, is looking like the best of the young new breed of quarterbacks so far at recognizing those things, adjusting, and changing his game. That, to me, is why he's on the path to, you know, true greatness, to, to GOAT status, all those kinds of things. Not because he's doing things you've never seen before, but because he's also changing and evolving, and that's huge. Yeah, and he was coming off of, and again, tr- try not to overreact here. Last year at this time, we were saying the Chiefs just gave him his best offensive line, and they had their worst season. Offensively, Mahomes and all that stuff. Well, this year, they once again had their best offensive line, right? The two best offensive lines of Mahomes' career I would say we're in this, these last two years. No knock on Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, who were there previously, but as far as just one to five, the best offensive lines that they've had in Kansas City in this year was their best year offensively. So they've started to do it in different ways. Mahomes has adjusted. Now, from a team-building standpoint, they've got a few of those free agents. Do you bring back Orlando Brown is the first question. Second question is, what do you do with 12 draft picks? Chiefs have 12 draft picks as well which is why the fact that they just won the Super Bowl, um, this is, again, similar to the Patriots, right? The Patriots would, like, win a Super Bowl, and then the next year they had someone else's first-rounder, right? They'd have two first-rounders keep trading down and add volume picks. This is how you build around your, you know, all-time quarterback, continuing to stay young, stay cheap. And then the other thing they can do is have Frank Clark come off the books, save $21 million in cap space. So where do you want your money deployed in the Patrick Mahomes era, it's fine to have Mahomes, obviously, Chris Jones, Joe Tooney's making a lot of money at guard, Justin Reed's going to uh, be making a lot of money at safety, Travis Kelsey, of course, but now they can get Frank Clark off the books and redistribute some of that money, and that's just another win for the Chiefs because Frank Clark's just been you know, pretty much an okay edge defender during his time there. Yeah, I also wouldn't rule out the possibility that they just restructure Frank Clark and try and keep him or re-sign him. Like, I... I wouldn't. I don't think he's been good enough for them to do that, but they seem to love him, and yeah. they have this feeling that he comes alive in the playoffs, which they're in every year, so it's sort of more meaningful for them than it would be for a team that doesn't make the playoffs half the time. But I can kind of see them trying to keep Frank Clark around, even if I would I would be with you. I would get rid of him and save $21 million. Um, but they may end up trying to keep him around, which will reduce his cap number, but will still count. Either way, they'll get some money back there, right? Yeah. So they could be in 
they could be still making splash plays here in Kansas City. Yeah. So I mentioned a couple of shows ago, Jalen Ramsey's out on the market. So even, even though the Chiefs have done a great job with their cornerback room over the last couple of years, which, by the way, I'd, I'd say is one of the underrated parts of the Chiefs' success. They've never had a great defense necessarily, but Charvarius Ward was a very good player that they developed, lost him in free agency, got a comp pick there, just had uh, Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams play solid as rookies. Do they want to make a big play at corner? And Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie, right, as a first-rounder. But do they want to go get a Jalen Ramsey to add to Trent McDuffie and so, Legereus need? one thing I think you probably need to factor in is um, Brad was certainly making it sound like they may end up using a second franchise tag on Orlando Brown to keep him around. That's pushing that money up quite high um, to keep him in the building. So that reduces your flexibility a decent amount. I mean, they've still got money to spend. They can still make some moves, but that would be a lot of money tied up in keeping Orlando Brown set at that particular spot. But then you maybe grab another tackle in the late first. Right, which was the... To play right tackle and develop and takes over for Brown the next year. I think there's definitely a play that could be made there. I think they want to bring in more pass rushers, whether they like Frank Clark or not. What what I do, I'd bring in more pass rushers. Yes, Um, but I think they can be in that mid-tier market well, you know they, they brought in Carlos Dunlap who last year was a you know reasonable player for them added something I think they can be in that kind of market as opposed to they're they're not in the Marcus Davenport sweepstakes for example I don't yeah. think um, but maybe they're looking for our guy Akarwankwo from the the Texans or uh, who was the the Charles Omenihu who had a really good season well, many who for, would be a good fit for San for Francisco, Chiefs. I think would be a really nice ad for them. Here's the other question, late first and into the second. Last year they spent a second rounder on Sky Moore, and even though they had the best offense in the league with Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Sky Moore, Nicole Hardman, Kadarius Toney, you know, they a stitched together receiving core, you know, good players, but not great. Do they continue to attack, right, with Juju out, two of those guys out? Are they a Zay Flowers potential team in the late first? Are they going to be grabbing one of these explosive receivers? Because as long as Mahomes is there, I'm less I'm less convinced that you need to be elite at receiver. Yeah. But you can take good guys with explosive skill sets and make them great in this well, offense, and that's really appealing. It does become – yeah, next season is going to be interesting for that receiver group because presumably they're not bringing back at least one, probably both, of Miko Hardman and Juju. So – now, on the roster, we were automatically ready to, to prepare or to, to promote two guys to fill those spots, right? Kadarius Tony was the gadget guy. He can step into a bigger role. Sky Moore was the guy they drafted to be um, the sort of higher volume receiver. And Juju was that guy this year as one of the few things you correctly predicted this year. Um, Juju was their primary receiver. I did. I win that. You do. You want um, me lunch at the combine maybe? No. I, you showed me a uh, who was the guy the video of the the guy who lost the picks on whatever show they were doing. I had to do a bunch of TikTok dances for oh, twenty my days. Fr- oh, glad we didn't do that. My yeah. friends, uh, my friends in Pittsburgh radio. That's it's it. Pony uh, and and whoever he works with. Pony and Muller and uh, and Donnie Football the producer lost their picks, mm. and he's got uh, twenty days of TikTok dances. <laughs> and now he's in. He's about day five. Yeah. Right now, you would have had a bad time if you if there was any no. any forfeit attached to your picks. Yeah, and if it like multiplied by how bad you were, I'd be doing right. a year of TikTok dances. Uh-huh. Never mind twenty. Anyway, days. so theoretically, Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony are ready to step into those bigger roles, but we don't know if they can do that. I mean, Sky Moore 
didn't really have much opportunity as a wide receiver this year. Um, his main opportunity was a punt returner where he generally was bad, uh, albeit one nice play, you know, pretty important one. Um, Kadarius Tony, again, like we've seen incredible gimmick stuff. He's electric with the ball in his hands, but can he take on a much bigger role within the offense? We don't really know that either. So that will be interesting to watch. Like, do they go aggressively after a wide receiver to try and just create insurance there or whatever? Or do they say, no, we, we have confidence in Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony. These are the guys that are going to step up next year. Yeah, I, I, that was what I was trying to articulate in many, many words the other earlier, I think, was just because – so the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And again, I think it could be easy for them to say, hey, we did it without without great receivers. Now, I don't want to diminish Travis Kelsey, by the way, either. The Travis Kelsey factor, just having him out there, is incredible. Mm-hmm. At some point in Mahomes' career, he won't have Kelsey, right? And that's, you know, he's still a force multiplier out there. But I still think the Chiefs, like the Chiefs shouldn't look at this season – I don't think, and just say, hey, we can just get by with, you know, we'll stitch it together with the Valdez Scantlings and Juju's of the world. We'll just keep going that route. I think they are so scary when they've got more playmakers out there. Of course. Right? So I I would still want to continue to attack that throughout the, uh, the Mahomes area here. The Kelsey thing is also interesting because, you know, at his age, you have to be at least thinking about a succession plan or yep. what happens when he's no longer – doing what he's able to do not that there seems to be any sign of that slowing down but you have to at least start thinking about it given his age but it's probably stupid to think of it in terms of well who's our next who's going to be the tight end to succeed Travis Kelsey and take up that role what he does I think the Chiefs almost need to think when Travis Kelsey is no longer here that isn't going to exist anymore we'll have a tight end obviously but the tight end will not do Travis Kelsey things the tight end will just be a tight end in this offense what we need is who's the next elite playmaker that we're going to have. And maybe that becomes a wide receiver as opposed to a tight end because you're just not going to replicate a Travis Kelsey skill set. So do they actually start, you know, let's try and future-proof this starting now, and maybe they go for, like, who's the best playmaker we can find to just add to this team? I mean, if they added a Michael Mayer late first as a tight end, I mean, one of the underrated things that the Chiefs did this year was get – their backup tight ends involved was get Noah Gray and um, uh, Joe Fortson involved, right? They're just schematically, they did a really good job of multiple tight end sets, something they they had not done as much of in the past. They, so they can win anyway, pretty much, right? So get a playmaker, a tight end, at receiver, whatever it might be. So I'm interested in playmakers late first and into the second in the draft, and then some uh, some tackle security here, both potential starting right tackle, but also eventual replacement for Orlando Brown. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of curious if they would think about um trading up in the draft to go after a playmaker, not necessarily a tight end, but maybe a wide receiver. So that was the other thing I was um thinking about with 12 draft picks on a roster that's already gotten younger, right? Do they want to turn 12 draft picks into 7 or 8 right. and just in target playmakers? The only thing is bigger so the, names. The only thing is those 12 draft picks are not necessarily you know tremendously high draft picks and a lot of sevens yeah, yeah when you start sort of factoring it in for value they're not they don't have a ton of draft capital relative to some other teams um, but for a team that just won the super bowl cap situation is pretty decent they've got the frank clark flexibility i think they'll be all right to uh, to make some plays here mm. so i'm okay with the second tag on orlando brown and then look to get younger at tackle and receiver slash tight end in the draft add some depth at edge and we're happy sound good yep all right, let's move on. Las Vegas Raiders. 
Raiders have, uh, as we've looked up and down rosters, a, a different situation here, right? They, most teams have a lot of their starters coming back. Uh, the Raiders have Mac Hollins and Foster Moreau, both you know, starters, basically, uh, hitting free agency. Two of their offensive linemen, Alex Bars, Jermaine Illuminor, who you love in free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Jacobs hits free agency. Jakob Johnson, his fullback, also hits free agency. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're losing six, you know, column starters. Deron Harmon at safety, Rocky Sin, Anthony Averett, uh, Everett, Averett, Jayon Brown, Denzel Perryman, Andrew Billings. Not a lot of big names there necessarily, but a lot of holes to fill here yeah. for the Raiders. It really is. Like when you look at the depth charts of most of the teams in the NFL, there's a few players here or there. Most of them are depth that are leaving in free agency. The Raiders, it's like half the team is going. <laughs> now, to be fair... Where they are keeping players, obviously Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, um, they are some of their most important players. But you don't have a quarterback because you decided to drop kick Derek Carr out of the building. So the most important position in the league, you don't have an answer to. And um, there are many other players we are losing as well. They're, they're in a it's not an easy spot. I, lo- I love it when you say drop kicked out the building. I always like when you do that. It's fun. So what do the Raiders do at quarterback here? What was the purpose of... What was the purpose? Well, when when they took over last year, we said this is a great time to reset things. Mm-hmm. To say, okay, this is a tough... Not even... This is a tough division. We're probably not going to win it. But just in the life cycle of where you are with the Raiders, fresh GM and Dave Ziegler, Ziegler fresh head coach, get out, get out from Derek Carr... It, if you don't want him to be the guy, do it now, as in a year ago at this time. And I don't mind them giving it a shot, but they went the other way, which was trade for Devontae Adams, sign Chandler Jones for $17 million a year, and they said, no, we're here to compete. We were a playoff team. We're here to compete. Now it feels like Jones underwhelmed, had his worst season since about 2012 as a defensive lineman. And Devontae Adams was fantastic, but he was the only – alpha receiver that didn't have that huge impact on his offense he as far as what they all did now you could also look at that and say well no Darren Waller is massive we know how important the tight end is if Darren Waller is healthy it's a completely different offense so there are some really really strong foundational pieces here but you're back to square one at quarterback picking at number seven overall what's that going to look like here yeah I mean this is perilously close to a team in need of a full and total rebuild at this point um and I wonder, I kind of wonder if your starting point is exploring trading away significant pieces that may take a while to be fully useful to you. So Darren Waller, you know, one of the best tight ends in the NFL. If this team is a couple of years away from really contending, is Darren Waller still going to be there in a couple of years when you've assembled this thing back together again? Maybe, maybe not. I, there's probably some players that they might look to ship on if they're going to do that full rebuild thing. Or are they just hoping that if we get a quarterback at seven, we can patch this thing up and somehow compete with the Chiefs? Or does Aaron Rodgers emerge from the darkness the darkness, and say, I want more darkness? Black hole. Ah. What did you see in four days of darkness? A black hole. That's where I'm going the Raiders it would be amazing what did you see oh, I saw a lot of darkness in four days in the dark so I'm telling you that, that means either the Raiders or the Jets said that brought me in mind of the Raiders yeah 
All I saw was black. Darkness. Raiders. That's it. Silver and black, baby. Is Rodgers their best play here? Well, Rodgers is probably the only thing that propels them into a different category of contention, right? You bring Rodgers in there, you connect him back up with Devontae Adams, you give him Darren Waller, you try and get a couple of offensive linemen in there, and all of a sudden we can actually theoretically create an offense that can match Kansas City, the Chargers with Justin Herbert, whatever Denver is able to pull together with Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. They, they have 11 picks total, three in the top 70. Can they get Aaron Rodgers without giving up number seven overall to the Packers? Could they give up, say, 38, so early second, 38 plus next year's first rounder? Yeah, I think they Rogers. could with next year's first involved. Yeah. But you're banking on, hey, if we have Rodgers, we'll be picking in the 20s, maybe even 32 next year. Yeah. Right? That's what you're banking on. No, I think the they could get it without giving up this year's first as long as next year's first was part of it and 38 and probably some other stuff. I think it's doable. So if we could pull that off, we're here fixing the Raiders. Would you rather that or would you rather a reset? Like how much do you want to look at? Like the Devontae Adams move, I – I'm going to contradict myself here. It feels Wait. like a, a long-term move, but I guess it's still valuable whether you have a first-contract quarterback or Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't really matter, right? Because you have a first-contract quarterback. That's like – it's like Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, but you just got the receiver first, right? So it's not bad to have Devontae Adams on the roster at $28 million a year. But it's also a move that screamed aggressiveness. Are they going to remain in that world and try to get a veteran rather than a, a rookie and a reset? I would take – I would try the Rodgers move here. Yeah, and you then have if to, I can pick at seven, maybe I grab a tackle. There's my starting right tackle, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my foundation. You have to kind of ask, what is everybody's timeline here? Like, Josh McDaniels feels like he probably has a shorter uh, amount of time than a lot of other head coaches because we've already seen him crash and burn once. So it feels like when things start to go wrong for Josh McDaniels, I don't imagine he's going to get a ton of room to fix it. He will be booted pretty quickly. Devontae Adams is now over 30. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is well over 30. Like, if wow. you're looking at the Raiders and you're saying, what is our timeline for competing to any of this? Like, the, there's a lot of people involved in this whole thing that probably don't have two years to start to, to build. You know, two years, tear it all down. Maybe we tank next year and we get a quarterback at the top of this draft. Whatever. I, I don't think there's a lot of people working in this thing that think they have that kind of time. So... They might be a team actually invested in going after Aaron Rodgers simply for the short-term fixable-ness. Fixable? Short-term? You know what I mean. Short, Walt, simply for the immediate, acute need that he would address. Walt, our fact-checker in the chat, is trying to fact-check us that uh, Devontae Adams isn't over 30. Well, he's 30. Right. And by the season, he'll be 31. Or he'll be turning 31 during the season. So Yeah, and also, I mean, being 30, 30. makes you... He's over 30 because he's already turned 30. Right. His 30th so. birthday has taken place, therefore he's over 30. So, by definition, he's over 30. He was 30 on Christmas Eve. Okay. Now he's over 30. Yeah. Correct. Fact check the fact checker. It's very important to do these days. Okay. Fact check the fact checkers. So, yeah, I mean, what would we do? I mean, I, I'd go the Rodgers route. I'd go the Rodgers route... Draft uh, Peter Skaronsky at uh, at seven out of Northwestern. Be my right tackle. Yeah, a lot of people are projecting him inside to guard. You, I mean, you just against that as a concept. We're now anti 
project tackles into guards as a that's one of the company line things we're going to keep. Who's projecting into guards? A lot of people. No, I know because he's got he's got the the T Rex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. T Rex guy. Yeah, I think Jeremiah uh, has him going to. Damn it! Where did he put him? Jeremiah's mock has him going somewhere that doesn't need a tackle because he's in Carolina, I think, because they're projecting him into guard, left guard. I think, I think I, I could go. I, I don't think you can go wrong there, right? I think there's a lot of really good tackle prospects that move to guard. Like Zach Martin probably could have played high level tackle I think in the NFL. He's shown he could play. Right? Yes, yeah. and he's an elite guard. Mm-hmm. I think Skaronski. He's not Zach Martin, maybe, but could play. Is that similar type of player? People said the same thing about Rashawn Slater, though, too, out of the same school a couple of years ago that his 33-inch arms weren't going to cut it. So there we go. I think he'd be fine. Play tackle if he lands at guard and you get close to elite guard play, I think that's all possible and fine with Skaronski. I'm fine yeah. with that. I mean, they, you know, it's not like they don't need a, a guard as well. So Yeah, they need help. They need help either way. So what else on this team? And then it does feel like the annual fix the Raiders defense question. Yeah. Right? The entire John Gruden, Mike Mayock era was – the need for playmakers. They were talking about it four years ago. We I need mean, playmakers. We need playmakers. We need playmakers. They they have Max Crosby, who's a stud, yep. and not much else. They have Max Crosby, Nate Hobbs, and Trevon Merrick. Those might be the only three players in the entire defense that you would go to bat for keeping on the roster. And Hobbs, just so people know who Nate Hobbs is, late-round pick, was a rookie in 2021, played in the slot in Gus Bradley's system, mm-hmm. Gus Bradley has a history of his slot corners just grading really well in our system. So we liked Hobbs in his rookie year. That's like the, the Desmond King role where he was really good early in his career playing in the Gus Bradley system. Hobbs regressed last year. Uh, Trayvon Merrig, kind of similar. We liked him coming out. He had a really good rookie season. He was just not good last year. A little bit more on his plate. Just not good last year at safety. They're talented players, but they need to play better. And uh, Crosby's the only one who's been consistently good. And Chandler Jones took a just a big step back, right? 10-plus years into his career last year. So this needs to be pretty much this offseason. Find a tackle, find a quarterback, find a tackle, and then fill in the rest with the second class of free agency and get younger on defense. Find yeah. some defensive players. They just need to throw a lot of resources at defense, just a lot of bodies at defense. I mean, they're losing a ton of players. Um, and even the ones that they're not losing, there's maybe three or four guys that you even value as – productive impact players going forward like I, that's that's as bad a, a side of the ball as we've seen so far projected yeah so there's a I, I like the corner depth in this draft I think I think the Raiders can grab at least one or two corners after you get a Skaronsky I'd, I'd look at that um, the second wave of corner in the draft when you if you if you have any draft capital left and then um, just figure out running back as well Josh Jacobs let him let him walk would you bring back – so Jacobs is one of the few guys, as I was looking at PFFIQ and doing some some comparisons, if he was to make – because you could do this in IQ, NFL teams. If he was to make $11 million a year, that's comparable. That's in that Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry range. And from a war, wins above replacement standpoint, Josh Jacobs has been similar. Now, most of it was this past year where he was our most valuable running back. Yep. But over a three-year sample – he has been comparable and wins above replacement to a Nick Chubb or a Derrick Henry. It's not significant compared to other positions, but at $11 million a year for a couple of years, for a few years, it could be reasonable. And that's kind of where the market is, right? Uh, Brad was talking about that. Yeah. Or how about this? What about instead of $11 million a year for a few years, what about $10.1 million for one year? 
On the tag. Yeah. Franchise tag. I would do that for 10. I think 10's, 10's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Steal an extra year there, draft another guy, and, uh, and get on with it. I mean, he had the kind of year where I think if you can get that again, that's really, really valuable. But it's probably risky to expect it to happen again. And therefore, your risk, your appetite for that risk should be relatively low, which means franchise tag. Walt, Walt, Illuminor did play well last year. I understand that Pro Football Focus, a.k.a. PFF, had him as the number 10 tackle last 12 games. I understand that. He's a free agent, Walt, right? He's a free agent. We could bring him back. We could bring him back Mm -hmm. on the cheap. Doesn't mean we don't want to draft and uh, and develop as well. Yeah, Skaronsky or someone else at seven. I mean, he's also one of the like, top corners at seven. He's a nice, capable starter. But if you told me I could get a Pro Bowler from somewhere, I would replace him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even if he was still there. I but, also Illuminor has been a swing tackle his entire career. So I as as much as those stats are really really good, right? Eighty three passing pass blocking grade, number four among right tackles from week seven through the end of the year. He is he's been a swing tackle. For the majority of his career. So he's a he's a potentially a nice pickup, but there's a bigger track record that he's uh, not as good, maybe, as he showed, right? So it doesn't mean – I mean, I'd be fine bringing him back, but Skaronsky's tempting there at seven as well. Mm-hmm. All right, do we fix the race? This is assuming we're bringing in Aaron Rodgers. From All right, the, if from we don't dark, go Rodgers – From the dark to the dark. If we don't go Rodgers, who do we like at quarterback? Who are we hoping for at seven? Bryce uh, Young. Bryce Young. If we're the – I mean, we're hoping the rest of the league, right? We already said the rumors are strong with Anthony Richardson Eight now. small but. guys. Bryce Young's still going to be my top quarterback heading into the draft. How, how scared should you be of the fact that he's smaller than me? Nate Tice made the – Because I don't know He said the best comp is probably Doug Flutie. Okay. Right? Which I, which I agree with as far as, like, person who had to overcome that level of size. Flutie was probably 5'10", 180. 170. Really? He's listed at 5'10", 180. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. So 5'10", 180? Another so guy. that's probably your best comp. Another guy I'm bigger than. I'm good for you, man. I'm bigger <laughs> than everybody that we talk about here. So what? No, you're not. Yes, I am. No. You're bigger. taller than Taller everybody. than every single person that we talk about on bigger this show. Than. Orlando Brown. Taller. You're not bigger than him. Not bigger. No. Not bigger than. Not bigger than most of the tackles and guards we talk about, but... Closing in on center weight is what I'm doing here. You know, I'm right now. I'm Undersized at, uh, center? Right now, I'm a zone blocking center. You're Jason Kelsey. Yes. Plus. No, eight. I've got Kelsey. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got Kelsey. All right. We're almost three. Is he even 300? No, God, no. no. He's like 285. Yeah. No, I got Kelsey. <laughs> so I'm in zone blocking center range. I'm closing in on Creed Humphrey, you know, power center. No, range. you're away away from Creed. Okay. What's he, 315? No, he's anyway. like 330. Creed's huge. Andrew Paul, he wants us to read the hot take. I've read the, some of the hot takes. We'll get to them. We'll get to them, Andrew. We'll get oh, to your hot, hot takes. takes here. We'll get some hot takes emailed to us, NFLpodcast at pff.com. Uh, what were we talking about? I can't even Quarterback. Remember. Yes. Small so how, people. We're going to go back to Doug this. Doug how, how big of an issue is it for Bryce yes. Young? Doug Flutie, even though he had to leave to go to the CFL, there mm-hmm. was some height bias yes. against him for a while. because he lot. was, Dude, he was like in the mid-80s making, making magic happen. Yeah. Whenever he had opportunities, right? Uh-huh. Goes to the CFL, CFL star, comes back to the NFL in 1998 with the Bills. Beats my undefeated Jaguars in week six with a, uh, with a keeper, with a QB keeper. He was making magic happen with the Bills. And then Wade Phillips 
had the same height bias. They wanted to bring in Rob Johnson. They wanted Rob Johnson to start over Doug Flutie. Rob when Doug Flutie would always play better than Rob Johnson. So Flutie dealt with all the height bias. And why was Flutie good? He was just he was just good. He was just a good playmaker. He didn't have a great arm. I think Bryce Young has a much better arm than Doug Flutie's. But he just made plays. He just got stuff done. He made jump throws. And he scrambled. And he just did stuff to offset his skill set. He was just a good football player. Bryce Young's probably in that boat, right? But he's going up against Will Levis, cannon for an arm, where it doesn't matter. Like, people see that and they're like, if I could just hone these couple other things, if I could just get him out of this rough West Coast offense at Kentucky, he'll be okay. And Anthony Richardson, who has such inconsistent tape, but um, at the risk of repeating this every year for every quarterback, but with Richardson, if you take his top 20 plays, not only are they spectacular – but it's like real NFL quarterback plays. Like mm-hmm. stepped up in the pocket, hit a cover two shot. Sp- spun out of a tackle, hit an incredible throw on the run. It's not just like big time throws for Anthony Richardson, but the top 20 plays, it's like that's an elite NFL quarterback doing that. It's just that his top 20 might be the only 20 that he did that this year. I, and you have to figure out the other 500. I forget where I saw this, but it was one of those, you know, quotes mashed together in a graphic thing. And it was somebody describing it was an, a, a classic unnamed executive i think personnel guy described anthony richardson as a mix a combination of cam newton mashed together with justin fields on what takes on what was mashed together oh, oh the description of, of richardson. anthony richardson is cam newton plus justin fields together combined morphed yeah the size that feels kind of aggressive, but but you could like the skill sets there, right? Because if you, but I, but, I feel like that. There's but with level like his Anthony Richardson's inaccuracy is worse than Cam Newton's, who's we who we criticized quite a bit. We criticized his accuracy quite a bit. I also feel like that's kind of forgetting a little bit just how freaky Cam Newton was in college. No, like, that's fair. He that's was so absurdly over the top that True. you're like, this is ridiculous. Richardson, it's like, all right, this is really impressive, but like, we're not, he's not out there just like single handedly dominating games every, every week on the way to the national title because he was so unstoppable as a singular human force in that offense. I, you know, Cam Newton, his NFL career is, is what it is, but it, it feels like that's doing him a disservice as to just how insane he was to be like, ah, Richardson is that plus the speed of Justin Fields. So there's a um, – we, we, I should save this discussion for a different time, but let's just go. Maybe we could repeat ourselves in a couple of weeks and rehash it. There is a way – some people look at this at a very non-PFF way, and I don't think it's wrong. The non-PFF way is to not look at play-by-play and graded and all that stuff and really just look at the – from a 30,000-foot view, what did this player do for his program, uh, both before – he got there and after he left, right? So obviously we don't know what happens to Florida after Anthony Richardson leaves necessarily. But if you just looked at quarterbacks and how well they just elevated their team using, believe it or not, wins, right, basically, you would pretty much get in the ballpark with a lot of hits and misses. So Josh Allen, for all his flaws at Wyoming, had an, a borderline elite season, and Wyoming was like on the map for a year or two with him at quarterback and off the map with him gone. 
Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, they didn't win a ton of games, but they were just more competitive in Big 12 games for whatever it's worth. Um, you could say Joe Burrow had all those pieces around him, but for one year they became like the best college team of all time. So he elevated an elite LSU program to the elite of the elite. If there's a not, and then say Mitch Trubisky working the other way, UNC was better before he was quarterback and better after he was quarterback at UNC, right? So if there's like a knock on Trubisky, like there wasn't that elevation of everything around him. Aren't you just describing good college quarterbacks that are both good prospects and bad prospects, depending on the guy? Like, Well, like Trubisky was a good prospect, but, if, but because you could say he made these throws, he does these types of things, therefore we can draft him in the first round. But if you said, was UNC actually better with him than they were with Marquise Williams before him, they weren't really. I'm not saying this is a 100% hit rate. I'm saying it's a, it's a way to view this thing. So Cam Newton, has the, he's got that it factor, right? He just shows up at Auburn, leads him to a national championship, elevates everything around them. That's a thing, right? In that, I don't think Cam Newton had a great career, but he was very good at, he was a good NFL quarterback. The, no, the knock I would use on Anthony Richardson here is he was never, he just never made Florida that much better outside of a couple games here and there. He never made Florida better. They were better with Kyle Trask at quarterback two years previously. And every time Richardson looked like, he, like if, if he went back to school this year, he was going to be a Heisman candidate, and he could have taken that next step forward, but we just never saw it at Florida. That's a little scary. I think that part is a little risky. For all of the skills that Anthony Richardson has, he never put it into practice and elevated everything around him the same way Cam Newton did, the same way a Josh Allen did. Say what you want about the Ohio State quarterbacks and Fields. like They were in the national championship with Fields. We never saw that from Richardson. He is a bag of tools who has put it together for a handful of plays to show you what he can be. But the full body of work with Anthony D. Richardson, I do believe is below some of the other top prospects in recent years. All right, so let's drag this back to this podcast Sorry. and say, it's at number seven, the Raiders are picking, which is the quarterback you actually want to be there? We should have a whole show on that. I mean, I hope that everybody thinks Bryce Young's too short. Yeah, so <laughs> having run full circle on this, the quest, the... Essential question was, how scared should you be that he's smaller than me? And your answer is not very, you want him at seven. Yeah, take him at seven. Because the thing, the, the, the other difference between him and Flutie is Doug Flutie was drafted in the 11th round of the draft back when such a thing existed. Whereas we're talking about Bryce Young might go number one overall. Things have changed a little bit. We've seen Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. I think teams are way more willing to take the shorter quarterback. Yeah, so... But you can't look at that and say, well, they did not did well or didn't do well because they were short. It's just like there were other things at play for thing. what made those guys succeed or fail. I think for a while we had actually sort of bucked that trend of like, you know what, if a guy can play, he can play, forget about his height. But then all of a sudden, Russell Wilson's playing like crap and the fact that he can't target the middle as well as other quarterbacks is a big part of that. All of a sudden, Kyler Murray didn't kick on to where we thought he would kick on and now somebody's trying to build an offense around him and doesn't know quite how that's going to look like. Drew Brees is gone, and by the way, is 6-1 or whatever. Like, Drew Brees, when we talk about short quarterbacks, Drew Brees and Baker Mayfield get talked about. Those guys are like six foot six one. We're talking about Bryce Young, who's maybe shorter than 5'10", whatever he's listed at. Like, he's when you look at photos of him, he's shorter than Kyler Murray. He's the same height as Nick Saban. Like, this is not a tall human being. So, it's... It's kind of different. Shouldn't have showed up yes, in the SEC. It should. At Alabama. And that's why I think he's still being talked about as a top 10 guy. But All right. I'm sorry. I hijacked the pod. I dragged it out. I made it really much longer. 
but um, I think when we get into some more detailed QB discussion, I'll just repeat the same thing. I think our best Maybe solution was the Aaron Rodgers thing. Done. Roger, we give Rodgers to the Raiders. Rodgers wants the legacy-defining victory over Patrick Mahomes in the division. And then he can finally sidle off into the sunset as opposed to the darkness. Happy. Raiders fixed. Hey, we got three teams done. Sweet. Los Angeles Chargers. How are we going to fix the Chargers? Do I have a – what do I have here? Chargers technically have everybody back on offense contract-wise as far as starters go. Defensively, Bryce Callahan, Drew Tranquil, and Morgan Fox, all free agents. But where are we looking to upgrade here? I think uh, offensive line-wise, they've done a better job, even though they faced some injuries this year. Um, they, they've moved on from their trainer, which I think, I mean, I don't know how well he is, how good he is at his job, but maybe changing the training room isn't the worst thing in the world with the Chargers. It certainly couldn't hurt to experiment, you know, given their track record of everybody getting injured every year. Like, like what they, the hell? Should they just spend, should they say, forget the cap space, like, let's just spend $10 million on the guy that the Vikings have. That used to be in the, with the Rams. Yeah, I mean, this is what we talked about with uh, Brad yesterday. Like, spend on those things, always. Yeah, I, I liked your point there that you've said many times, but, like, definitely. The Chargers are less likely to be that team that does that, though, I would say. Um, so I think the Chargers have an interesting... Uh, way to attack the receiving core. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, both making over $20 million a year. Did Brad, Brad, was it Brad that was mentioning Keenan Allen as a potential cut candidate or mm-hmm. trade candidate there? Um, I mean, I think you'd rather keep him around, but it is a lot of money. And I would just say the Chargers need speed. Yep. Speed, speed, speed. Even though DeAndre Carter, I think, has some speed, and Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer, like those guys are okay. The two main guys are Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And, you know, an oversized possession guy in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, who's all, he's faster than the four seven that he ran at the combine, but he's a possession guy. Mm-hmm. Speed for Justin Herbert and um, attack down the field. Yeah, right. They need speed. The the one guy, by the way, that isn't coming back on offense that uh, is Trey Pipkins, the right tackle. Now, Jamari Sawyer probably steps in there and plays that spot. We projected Sawyer as the right tackle. That's why I'm there yeah, is. Right. There's a lot of Chargers fans that want them to bring back Dre Pipkins and move Sawyer into guard, put him there at left guard instead of Matt Filer. Um, That would make some sense. I I wouldn't hate that. But as it is, Dre Pipkins is going to be a free agent and Sawyer the right tackle. Yeah, Pipkins is a a third rounder out of Sioux Falls that's just continued to get a little better and better. And you're in that year four or five range where guys tend to improve, get him on the cheap. You could, could probably make that work, so... I'm good with that, but I want to. I got to create explosiveness. I want to. I want to know Justin Herbert with this um, three straight years among the lowest average depth of targets in the NFL. Mm-hmm. What we said about Derek Carr a couple years ago. Do you need to induce more aggressiveness out of him by getting him a bigger playmaker for the for the Raiders? It was uh, Henry Ruggs, and once Henry Ruggs was out there, run it with his four two speed. It actually did create more shot plays for the Raiders, made Carr more aggressive. Is that actually a tactic the Chargers should be taking and say, here, here's a couple speed receivers to go with Mike Williams. We're going to make you throw the ball down the field. Yeah, probably. But it's also just, it's it's an obvious missing part of the receiver skill set. Like they, they don't have that really True. Um, as part of the offense. So it, it kills two birds with one stone. It probably attacks the same thing. So who is the, who's the wide receiver that you would give them? They picked reasonably, where are they picking, 21? They're 21. Like they're actually, it's not a bad spot. Yeah, given I feel like. 
everybody in the twenty we keep mention in the twenties we keep mentioning Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Yeah, I think Addison would be a nice fit there. I would love Addison there. Um, I'd also so yeah, the wide receiver group might be as chaotic as every other position in terms of trying to actually order these guys. We saw our uh, friend, not friend of the show, friend of just you and I. Uh, Lance Erline had his wide receiver. He's been on the show, though. He's has been he? On the show. Yeah. We have him on the show? Remember we had the uh, the back room at uh, the Combine a few years ago. Oh, friend of the okay. show, Lance Erline. All right. Friend of the show. Official and friend, friend of the show. And off-air friend. Right. Um, he put out his wide receiver rankings that bear no resemblance to any other rankings I've seen this season. Um, the interesting part will be, like, could a guy like Quentin Johnson, who a lot of people like, who Mike Renner loves, has him at number eight on the PFF big board right now, like, could he make it as far as – 21 because that would be an intriguing guy like I don't love him as a prospect but he's got speed but at 21 with a with her a guy if I'm the Chargers I would right I would play that game yeah so I mean maybe that's a complete pipe dream maybe he's just destined to go in the top 10 but we're, you know, we're in this world of if you're saying that will never happen now at February the 24th you're an idiot who knows what will happen at that point maybe Quentin Johnson ends up being less desired than people think he is and he slides that far I also think, obviously, Jordan Addison would be great. He's the best receiver in the draft. To me, Zay Flowers would be intriguing. Like, there's some options for them there. Oh, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna go down the path of who's who's Lance's number one receiver. It's Jalen Hyatt, right, out of Tennessee, who has size and speed. Um, I could absolutely see. By the way, of of all the, I've learned through the years not to, um, you know, hate on other people's rankings and all that stuff too much. Too much, except when, you know, except when you have guys who are legitimately not going to be drafted in like your top three at a position. Like at some point, you've got to evaluate your hit rate and change a little bit. All right, without naming names, but of all the positions to really not care about rankings, I think it's receiver in corner, right? Because they're they're not only difficult to project, but they're very much flavor flavor driven and style driven. There are some people's. I mean, obviously, a lot of this is like how much do you respect the evaluator. You sure. Know, and how much is that actually going to make you change what you think? But I do appreciate some rankings that are outside of the norm of everybody else's just because it will make you go and look at a guy a little bit harder. Yeah. Like I like seeing rankings where somebody has a guy that everybody else has ranked like eighth, number one. Because they're like, all right, well, let me go and take another look at that guy. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. Now, most of the time you're not, and it's kind of the same as what you thought to begin with. But – I like that as a check in the process. Outliers. Go and check an outlier and have another look at it. So I, I know someone like um, – I know Henry Ruggs had the terrible incident and he's, you know, out of the league. But um, it, are there similarities with Hyatt, right, where it's like you could talk yourself into – if you could if you could draft Henry Ruggs as over C.D. Lamb and uh, who else? Jerry uh, Judy. And Jerry Judy. You're basically saying, hey, I know he's not as polished as those guys. But I don't, and I don't need him to be like those guys. I don't need him to be a 150 target guy. But his speed is just, and his deep threat ability is is just worth it. I think you can look at Hyatt and say the same thing, right? He doesn't run a full route tree. He's coming out of a tough offense to adjust. But if I don't try to make Jalen Hyatt into the next Mike Williams or the next Keenan Allen, can I make him my speed receiver and just let him do what he does and let him adjust and hopefully he adjusts and becomes more well rounded. But if he's just a number two, take the top off the defense type of guy that creates more aggressiveness out of Justin Herbert and opens up the middle of the field, that could be worth it. So that's where I think you could talk yourself into 
not just speed, but like legitimate downfield playmakers, which is something that Hyatt is. I think that'd be an interesting one for the Chargers, first or second round, depending on where the rest of the league uh, looks at him. Mm -hmm. So, all right, offensively, that's where I'm going, right? Um, bring back Pipkins and Saul, you know, figure out Pipkins and Sawyer at right tackle, add speed to this receiving core. Uh, what is the savings on Keenan Allen? If I have to move on, that's fine, but I'd rather not. Keep yeah. them around and add more speed. I mean, I anyway. think the the logic that they had when they paid both those guys 20-plus million for Justin Fields still holds, but now I think you need to add speed to that group as well. And then defensively, last year, they tried the stitch-together interior defensive line thing. That's just this annual problem yep, for the work. Chargers. Guys can't stay healthy. Guys can't, you know, get off blocks up mm -hmm. front. Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, both below average seasons both making that 7 to $8 million range. So what we've suggested for a lot of teams who need interior defensive line help was go spend 7 or $8 million on Sheldon Rankins and David Onyemata. The Chargers kind of went that route last mm -hmm. year. Maybe they didn't pick the right players, but they went that route. So I don't know if they're going to go that way again. Is it time to find an impact player on the defensive interior to then create more opportunities for Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack on the edge? I still like the process, and I still think that's a smart way of doing it. The Chargers are one of these teams that don't have a ton of cap space right now but can free up an absolute boatload with restructures, et cetera. Um, names that I would quite like to see them target in free agency. Dalvin Tomlinson from the Minnesota Vikings this year. Puna Ford coming off a particularly crappy year. Ooh, I like Seattle. That yeah, I like Puna Ford. Um, who else did I have? Jerron Reed coming off not a great year for – uh, Green Bay as well. Those are three guys I think that I would be intrigued to throw in there in the middle and see if they can really make an impact. We've given uh, a couple of the, Not collectively, obviously, like individual. We gave Mozzie um, Smith from Michigan and Siaki Ika to, uh, of Baylor to somebody the other day that needed similar a similar look. What? Just be laughing. Somebody. We gave it to somebody. Yeah. I don't know. We're more than halfway through this thing. I don't remember everything I did for every team as GM. Mm -hmm. It's kind of tough controlling the entire league. It is. But those are a couple second-round possibilities if you want the um, the big nose tackles, right, the big nose tackle types. Chargers have three picks in the top 100, just a, a straight-up seven picks this year, so nothing crazy from a draft capital standpoint. Um, and then what do you do with J.C. Jackson in the secondary? We've talked about the injury factor there. Are we just rolling with J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel, Michael Davis? It's a good on-paper trio, but, man, J.C. Jackson looked so out of place in this system last year before he got hurt. Yeah, it looked bad. Um, I don't know. That's a big question mark for them. Like, it looked like right before he got hurt, they had figured out that if they switched the, the, the role and responsibility a little bit of him, you would get New England version of J.C. Jackson. And then almost immediately, he gets hurt. It, was that a thing? Or was that just a few plays of a blip that, yeah. you know, looked different? Because um, if it isn't, also, by the way, there, like he did have an injury going into that season that may have explained the entire thing. So I think generally they need to understand what happened there. Was that injury? Was that we thought he could succeed in a different scheme? He can't. We need to run this specific type of defense with him in there. Or are, did they just goof? Did, is the whole thing a disaster? Because that's a major, major thing. Uh, well, yesterday we saw... Bobby Wagner released by the Rams. Mutual agreement. Yeah. Um, a suggest, probably a suggested restructure, but it ends up being a one-year $10 million deal for Wagner with the Rams, which is fine. 
do you think he'd be a fit here? Not just a fit, but when we talk about it's annual run defense issues for the Chargers. Yeah. And you, I know you want to start your run defense fix with the defensive line. But the, I, even though linebackers theoretically devalued in today's NFL, a true three-down linebacker that can play the run in a small box and all that stuff. And also, I have no idea. I have no idea if this actually makes an impact, but you know they're losing Drew Tranquil, Troy Reader. These are guys that would have started um, opposite Kenneth Murray, their first-round pick, right? He was a first-rounder. Hasn't really panned out so far. I would certainly at least like to give. You know, what can we do to help? Kenneth Murray. Obviously, we can improve the guys in front of him, try and keep some bodies off him, keep him clean. But maybe he could pick some stuff up from Bobby Wagner. Like, yeah. if I put him in the same meeting room, does that help Kenneth Murray's development? You know, I'm, it's not a coach, but the coach on the field. Like, maybe Bobby Wagner's influence on Kenneth Murray would be a positive outcome. And Wagner just – he signed a big deal on paper. But as I just said, the Rams got out of it, basically, at one year, $10 million. If that ends up becoming the going rate for Bobby Wagner in the next couple of years, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million, maybe for two or three different teams, even just for one year, if, if I'm the Chargers, I would I would play that game potentially here. So I think that's another that's another place I would go. Just sign Bobby Wagner Every if year. I'm the Chargers after Every you team. restructure. Um, but you're going to restructure. You might want to. The risky part here is if you restructure too many contracts, push it into the future. Herbert's due coming up. It, it's it's getting close to like this is like a make or break year on this contract year for uh for the Chargers and Herbert. So they've been they've gone for it. They're putting themselves in this position. So I would keep going for it for one more year. Give me Wagner. Keep going interior defensive line. Find some speed on offense. Chargers fixed. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. NFC West now. It's the Arizona Cardinals. Oh boy. Uh I saw the recent reports on Kyler Murray. He might be back early next year is what they're going for. Is that being optimistic? Hmm. Um, either way, so Kyler Murray's injured. He's got the ACL that happened, uh, was that just before Christmas last year? It was in December. Offensively, three out of five offensive linemen are free agents. Justin Pugh, Will Henderson, Will, Will Hernandez, and the great Kelvin Beecham. Who also, I've, most of the backups. And most of the backups. But the great Kelvin Beecham, who I've given to every other team that needs a right tackle, including the Cardinals. They should bring him back for $2 million if they can. Defensively, Zach Allen coming off a career year on the defensive line, Nick Vigil, and then Byron Murphy. So they've got a couple, couple key places here with that need they need to replenish. And then DeAndre Hopkins is on the trading block as well, receiver. And one of the holdovers on the offensive line is Rodney Hudson, who's starting to look very much past his sell-by date at this stage, whether it's injuries, whether it's just not playing at the level he used to be playing at. You're basically it's a you have two starting caliber left tackles, and then a whole basically at four of the five other spots, which is not ideal, particularly when one of the starting quality left tackles you have has shown an inability to play any other position so far in the NFL. Josh Jones. Do we try him? Is he just a better tackle or is he just a a left tackle? I would absolutely not move Josh Jones anywhere else than left tackle. He filled in and played well at left tackle down the stretch there in year three, but he's sitting there behind D.J. Humphreys. Right. The other thing about when Cliff Kingsbury was there, say what you want about his offense, but they did a good job of running the ball because of the way they spread and used Kyler Murray and all that stuff. I don't know if you have that. I don't want to say cheat code, but I don't know if you have that advantage now, different system and everything, but they did a good job. Remember, they'd always be good um, running the ball effectively, running out of spread sets. They've, they're pretty good running the ball in the Kings, 
uh, Kingsbury era from a, an efficiency standpoint because they, they manipulated box box counts and all that fun stuff. So um, that's just something I would. I think you you're, you're losing that. So I think it's a whole year of reshaping this offensive line. I think. Yeah. Now, if they could bring back Will Hernandez and Kelvin Beecham on the cheap, that might be the starting point, right? Like any other team might be looking at those guys to plug a hole here and there. But if the Cardinals can get two of them just from those guys, I think you're fine. Justin Pugh, man, he's uh, – when did he – was it 2013 rookie? Yeah. He's still going. Still going strong. He's a solid player. But you're probably getting to the end of the line with Pugh, who only played 274 snaps last year. Yeah. Cardinals are not in a great spot in terms of spending room. Um, effective salary cap space. They have basically none. And they can free up some room, but a lot less than other teams. So I don't see them being massive spenders in free agency. They're going to need to be spenders of some description because they have so many holes and need to be plugged. Yeah, they need to attack the interior of that offensive line and try and do what maybe the Bengals did a year ago and bring in, you know, three guys for a collective sum of like $30 million and try and overhaul this thing. So it's a completely new regime here. Do you punt on this entire season if you're the Cardinals? If, you, if you're trying to be competitive, if you're trying to hold the Ford until Kyler Murray comes back, mm-hmm. isn't Jacoby Brissett like the perfect guy to come in? Well, he's the 11-game quarterback. Yeah. Let's bring in Jacoby Brissett and let him tread water for a while. The other option is do you – I don't know, like a Gardner Minshew? Do you try to get someone? I mean, if you're completely punting on this season, then just let Colt McCoy go out there for 11 games or however long he's going to be needed. Before he gets hurt? Well, then you got David Blau. You know, you're fine. Do you just completely punt with Colt McCoy and David Blau? Or you try to say, okay, let's – Like, Jacoby Brissett could go, you know, same thing, go 500 or something right. like that. Kyler Murray comes in, you win a few games, you're in the playoffs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you're punting – do it properly. <laughs> Let's do nothing other than throw Colt McCoy out there and say, have fun, Colt. Here's a nice swan song to end your career. If that's the plan, do it Do it the right way. Don't bring in Jacoby Burstead, who only upgrades your chances of winning games and thus taking you down the draft order next year. A completely outside-the-box thinking for uh, punting would be uh, drafting a quarterback at three. Just draft somebody. How's that punting? It's not punting. Well, it's 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 trying to it's thinking a little bit into the future, right? So you draft you draft Anthony Richardson or whoever at three, throw him out there, even if it's not the best situation. You know you've got Kyler coming in, and then you eventually you either have this awesome backup that you could have take over at some point if if things go south with Kyler, if you wanted to trade him in a couple years down the road, or you're trading the guy that you drafted at three. You're trading Anthony Richardson for somebody that wants him two years from now. Yeah. The alternative of that is having somebody like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, who you just know is going to be a really good starter when you really need any kind of good starter on this team. Both I mean, sides of the is ball. this the first team we've come across where the solution to fixing them is actually to stink this year? As in just tank. Tank. Throw yeah. Colt McCoy out there as a starter, not bother fixing anything this year. Leave the thing go to rack and ruin, but prepare for next year, including drafting really high in next year's draft where trading Kyler Murray at least becomes possible. Like, if you traded him now, it's like a $60 million no, cap you, you're it. you're not trading him now, obviously. Right, so yeah. that's not happening. Trading him next year, it's $46 million, which is, you know, it's not exactly fun, 
but is at least doable. There's precedent for that, right? There's that's isn't that vaguely what Matt Ryan's hit was when they traded yeah. him away to start that rebuild? It's also Aaron Rodgers when they trade him, if they trade him this year, is leaving around a forty million dollar dead cap hit. So it's in the ballpark if you were doing it next year. So yeah. this might be the team where the solution is. I mean, I'm hopefully not thinking about trading Kyler Murray, so I'm probably not going to go game. down that. Yeah, I'm probably not going to go down that path. I'm probably going to just draft Willie Anderson. I'll do everything I can though to trade out. I'll do everything I can to trade down from three. I'm I'm less inclined. You know, we've talked about the Bears like they don't want to move past four to make sure they get a blue chip. I'm less worried about got to get a blue chip and more worried about I just need I just need starters, right? Like who are the good starters on the Cardinals? Offensive line needs multiple players, right? If you trade it down to seven or nine and you got Skaronsky or a starting tackle there um, and picked up more draft capital, we need secondary help. We need a ton of defensive linemen. We need four starters on the offensive line. It's a trade down as much as possible. If you can't, give me Will Anderson. And look, I think you need to be thinking about Kyla Murray long-term because nobody in the building now were the people that gave him the deal or drafted him. And you're stuck with this guy because you just signed him to the deal, but he's coming off an ACL. He's also coming off a bad year. He's coming off a year previously. We're talking about he needed a clause in his contract to stop him playing Call of Duty, which was disputed and then taken out and blah, 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 this whole thing, right? So we're in this world of, is he your long-term solution at quarterback? I don't know. And I don't think they know either. So at the very minimum at this point, with a new GM and a new head coach sitting down, doing what we're doing and saying, what's the roster look like? What's a salary cap situation this year, next year, three years' time? You have to have the possibility that Kyler Murray is not your long-term answer at quarterback somewhere on this ideas board, right? The whiteboard that you don't let players look at because it's got some details on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Somewhere on that board has to include the concept of what if Kyler Murray isn't the guy? How do we prepare for that? I, I just want to describe why this is why that should be a possibility. That we're, I think you're debating. Let's use Anthony Richardson as the example. Um, similar to what the Eagles did, you drafted Jalen Hurts, right? At the time, if he was like, "Hey, Jalen Hurts is going to take over as starter late rookie season and into year two. We're going to have him for a fraction of the price that we would have Carson Wentz and we could do these other things. And he's better than Carson Wentz, right? And now they're set up for the future in Philadelphia. They're at least set up to make a Super Bowl run and set up for the future. Could Arizona look at it similarly and say, I'm weighing the Anthony Richardson pick at three. You can realistically maybe trade Kyler after 24. So 23 and 24, mm -hmm. you, you get a look at Kyler. After 24, you could trade him in 25. It's about I mean, 30 million dead. I think you could realistically do it in 24. It would just that says hurt 80 a lot. million dead. Pre June 1st. Uh, am I looking at? You're looking at something wrong. Oh, yeah, it's 46. You're right. You're right. Okay. And now, if Anthony, but then again, if if Anthony Richardson hits, right, the payoff of him hitting is far greater than you put Will Anderson versus the next edge that you can get as will anderson could become the next khalil mack but the difference between will anderson and carlos dunlap next edge it's big at that position but it's not big as far as leading to wins it's not that drastic but i think there a... you can lead to like the difference between kyler murray on big contract and anthony richardson if he's good on the rookie contract and then you know getting into the next guy could be 
organization changing. I think they're. I'm just saying that's the ideas board. That's what you're. That's what you're weighing. Sorry, go ahead. I think they're a perfect candidate though to be looking at next year's group of quarterbacks because they don't really have a great pathway to being good this year. They have a high draft pick this year where the quarterbacks all have something to be concerned about, whether it's Anthony Richardson and his project status, whether it's Will Levis and the fact that he's old and a bit of a project and inaccurate, um, whether it's Bryce Young and his tiny size. You've already, you're, you're stuck with that already. Um, okay. Or C.J. Stroud and his concerns about yeah. terrible play under pressure outside of that Georgia game and a couple of process issues, whatever. There's a reason to be scared about all four of those guys. Next year's group of quarterbacks – as seems to always be the case, is said to be better. Is this a team where you say, stay at three, give me my blue chip guy, whichever one you prefer, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, um, and then next year we're actually going to stink enough that we draft a quarterback and we start looking at what the options are to get rid of Kyler Murray. Yeah, I could buy into that. I think that's, that's our best option. I like that one. Because if you – are you really going to roll with Colt McCoy? I mean, if I'm tanking, you might as well do it properly. Like Let's that's how you institutionally tank, right? Is you don't you you don't do it by sending them out and saying, "Guys, go out and lose this game." No, you come to the press conference like, "Look, Colt McCoy is a veteran." Right. We like Colt McCoy. Mm-hmm. We think we can win with Colt McCoy. We're going to do everything we can to put the pieces around Colt McCoy to, to win football games, be competitive every week. We're behind closed doors. You're like, "Go check out Caleb Williams. Go scout Caleb Williams. He's our guy." <laughs> Go get Caleb Williams. I think that is the best long-term play for the Cardinals. Let's do that. Colt McCoy's our starter. Trade in Nuke Hopkins and draft Will Anderson at three. Mm-hmm. Not drafting a quarterback. Draft my blue. St- stock up on draft picks. Replenish this roster. Mm-hmm. Might even trade Marquise Brown too before <laughs> he he needs to get paid. Yeah. Get that get draft picks back there. I shouldn't have shouldn't have given up a first round pick for him last year. Right. Unfortunately, you can't take it back. No. No, I think this is a team where the solution is actually tear it down, rebuild, start over. All right, we're doing that. Light free agency. You know, as a rebuilding team, when you go to free agency, I wouldn't do it the way the Texans do it with, with one-year contracts. You do it like the Bears last year. Yeah. Tear it all Grab, down. Like if they got a Jawan Taylor who's 25, I don't love Jawan Taylor as a player, but if he's the tackle that you're getting, a 25-year-old that's going to be there multiple years, I'm okay with that. Yep, strip it for parts. Strip it for parts, Arizona. Go do it. Whatever you just said. Los Angeles Rams. Let's fix the Rams. They just released Bobby Wagner yesterday. So uh, we got some work to do. Our friend Greg Rosenthal suggested that the Bobby Wagner move may be an indicator that they don't care about the 2023 season in Los Angeles. Hmm. I don't know that I agree with that. (coughs) That would be weird for – I mean, what do you make of the whole Sean McVay thing of letting his entire staff walk – it sounded like he was kind of on the way out, burned out, you know, the grind of the Aston Martin at 6 a.m. through the Los Angeles Hills was just really getting him down. It's just done too much. I need to take a step back. You just can't relate to people feeling pressure, people in high-pressure jobs, even though they're making a ton of money. No, I really can't. I, Do you think I mean, money buys all happiness? I've seen now? his house. I've seen his car. Do you understand his human money. nature whatsoever? I've seen his mo- I, money. Money does not make people I have no happy. sympathy for that. I just don't. I'm none. There's not, there's no evidence also, in anywhere in history that money makes anybody happy, and that's what Jordan the, Roderick is writing of, about with uh, with Sean McVay. But one of the great differences between Sean McVay and the normal humans like the rest of us that feel pressure and stress and are being burned out by their jobs is that he has almost total control 
over what his environment looks like within that job. Sean McVay could walk in there tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm cutting my hours in half. I'm not doing any of this other crap. I'm outsourcing that to other people, and I'm going to chill on the deck for the next four days. See ya. And everyone would go, all right, cool. Sounds good, coach. The rest of us are just like, no, here's some crap you got to do. Get on with it. That's the difference. I have zero sympathy for Sean McVay burning himself out by driving his nose into the grindstone. Just take the nose back. Lean back, step away from the grindstone, and chill. It's interesting because they go the other way with burning out their own coaching staff. Uh, They will not be at the scouting combine next week, other than Sean and and Les basically coming in for press conferences. They they have to do press conferences, but the rest of their staff, they've they've cut back on – Senior Bowl and all these other, you know, mm-hmm. these travel events because, you know, you could be a, you could be efficient in other ways. So I don't know. It's interesting. But anyway, but my, I don't think they're I don't think they're punting on 2023 right, with my, a Bobby Wagner move. My point being, I don't understand this whole world of it looked like he was on the way out, then all of a sudden he's like, no, I'm ready, I'm back, and you're like, all right, so that doesn't really seem to connect to me. Like a guy that was that close to the brink, maybe being prepared to go rebuild mode on this thing doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're rebuilding. They just, they just had a terrible season that, you know, they were playing third stringers throughout most of the season. They had a new offensive line every single week. They're going to try to fix it this year. Um, as much as we say, hey, the Cardinals should legitimately rebuild from the ground up, it's because they don't have any foundational pieces. The Rams have uh, someone everyone was calling a Hall of Famer last year at this time at quarterback. Matthew Stafford. They've got Cooper Cup. They still have Jalen Ramsey on the roster. They still have Aaron Donald on the roster. They're two years removed from the highest, uh, from three out of the top five most valuable non-quarterbacks in the league on their roster in Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, and Aaron Donald, right? Stars and scrubs, as we've always discussed. Now, I think they, they might have to pivot a little bit. There's rumors about Jalen Ramsey getting traded, and maybe they do want to restock through the draft a little bit more. We always said that the risk in the draft wasn't having fewer picks. They've always had a lot of picks, but it's harder to find impact players on you know late day two and into day three. They've found starters. They've found starting safeties um, like a Nick Scott. They've st- they found starting linebackers like an Ernest Jones, which is fine, but it's, it's just difficult to do in rounds three through seven. So I think they might be pivoting more to like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna draft a little bit earlier. I mean, if we can, and get some picks back. They need to overhaul the offensive line. Like, that's step number one. That's step one. The, it's difficult to sort of backtrace what went wrong last year because everything went wrong, but the very start of it. In fact, week one, opening night, Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams, the Rams offensive line got torn a new asshole by the Buffalo Bills defensive line. It wrecked it. And that was really the starting point of everything that went wrong. And they've had this incredibly tight correlation throughout the entire Sean McVay era of offensive line good, offense good, offensive line bad, offense bad. That was the starting point of the rot last year. It'll be the starting point of the rot next year unless they fix it. So the entire offseason for them should be loading up with offensive linemen. They should be involved both in free agency and in the draft. They need at least, I would say, two new starters, probably three. Um, And there's... Maybe only right tackle Rob Havenstein should be untouchable. Joseph Noteboom pretty much has to be at left tackle at this point. I think he's fine. He's solid. Um, Maybe. So, what? Maybe. Maybe. But either way, I think they're kind of stuck with him for now. 
so the entire interior do what the chargers did a couple years ago the chargers had a combination of they spent a lot of money on Corey lindsley at center and then got the matt filer you know quick deal and you know just grab a couple of those i mentioned isaac sayamalu as our top guard on the board but even if you go to that next bunch ben powers dalton reisner nate davis will hernandez any of those guys as solid starters you don't have to be great you have to be better than below average yeah better than back to average. average but i do think that this team more than most might actually need to be better than average for the offensive line yeah that might be possible with um the way Stafford plays. Right. Can so. they free up money to go after some of the Mike McGlinchies of the world? Let's Bigger have names. a look. I uh, think Isaiah Wynn could be a good fit there. Of course, Kelvin Beecham or Jermaine uh, Luminor, either one of us would take him. There take are only guys. two teams in the NFL that can free up more space than the Los Angeles Rams. The Saints, who obviously do this every year, where they yeah. automatically free up a ton of space by cutting everybody. Uh, the Tennessee Titans and then the Rams are next in terms of the amount of space that they can free up to spend. I'm sorry, they wouldn't go McGlinchey because, like we said, Havenstein's the guy at, at right tackle. Right. But a um, and Isaiah Wynn, who could be a guard, right? He's played tackle, but he's always you know, a lot of people liked him at guard because he's a little bit on the shorter and shorter arm side. But he could be a good guard for the Rams if they wanted to make that move. But I think you're looking at Wynn, say Amalu, Ben Powers. You're looking at getting some of those guys into the building. Would you take a shot on – I know you've never loved Garrett Bradbury, but would you take a shot on him being the, the year five breakout candidate? <laughs> year five breakout candidate. That's what happened. That's what O-line do. They get better. At, at five. This, five yeah, years year in. Year four, five. Okay. He got better last year. Is there another step forward if you can get him on the cheap? I don't think people are going to be banging down his door. I mean, if it's a very cheap deal, sure, let's bring him in and see if he can take a step forward. But if it's anything other than extremely cheap, I'm not interested. So that's the route I'm going if I'm the Rams, much like – We've seen uh, the Bengals, the Chargers, just uh, stitch it together in free agency without going too crazy. The Rams do pick at 36 overall. Mm. They do have uh, 10 picks in the draft. What? Not six. Where are they? 36. No, I know. But six was where they could have picked had they they not traded away picks. Would you trade Jalen? So part of the Bobby Wagner release, by the way, I believe, last year it was uncharacteristic of the Rams to spend at linebacker, right? If we talked about these distinct trends that the Rams have had the last couple of years. It was stars, but stars at valuable positions or in Aaron Donald, right? Stars at valuable positions. And when they traded, they were, they were getting receivers and corners and the quarterback, of course. Last year was the first time they actually invested at linebacker, right? For years, our preseason rankings have the Rams as like the second or third worst linebacker core, but it didn't matter. They had good defenses because they were good everywhere else. And this was the first time they veered from that a little bit and went with Bobby Wagner. And it was like, all right, now we'll have a start at every level. It'll just be a more versatile defense. So overall, I think they just pivoted away from that strategy and said, okay, we would let's get back to we have all these other holes. We don't want money invested at linebacker. So let's do it back on the defensive line, back in the secondary, and on the offensive line where all these holes are on this team. That's mm-hmm. why. I don't I, it's like to push back on our friend Greg. I don't think it's a punt on this season. I think it's a punt on last year's strategy to invest at a position where they had been one of the teams at the forefront of devaluing linebackers and getting good enough play from guys like Ernest Jones through the years. Yeah, I mean, I think they've also, they probably realized that they, they're not in a great spot and what was probably a luxury for them at the time, it's like, hey, we're actually in a really good spot, defending Super Bowl champions, things are going well, we can spend $10 million on Bobby Wagner, that upgrades a spot that we don't really care about generally. And then the whole thing falls apart. 
it's like, all right, now that luxury that we brought in, now we're just sort of burning money for no particular reason. So let's let's get rid of that. Jalen Ramsey was still valuable and still good in our system last year. He's still um, top three corner in the NFL. Would you move on from Ramsey? Would you would you say there's enough holes, right? There's uh, both safeties, Nick Scott, Taylor Rapp hitting free agency, Troy Hill free agency again. You've got three-fifths of your, uh, of your secondary that needs to be replaced. And while they've been drafting these um, FCS athletic type of corners like Kobe Durant, who was fine last year, but those types, are they all ready to step in? I don't know that they are. Jordan Fuller, maybe out. He can come back in and play. Do you have enough holes on this team that you're willing to trade Jalen Ramsey to recoup some draft capital? No, he's one of the cornerstone pieces that you have in this roster and the cornerstones remain even when it, like everything else fell apart around the cornerstones. You still don't get rid of the cornerstones to solve that problem. He, they were correct in their approach of we build this thing around, you know, four or five pillars, keep those pillars. That's the one part of the team right now that's still functioning. Don't get rid of it to try and fix the rest. Do you try to give up on the Allen Robinson experiment? For whatever reason, when Allen Robinson had his best on-paper quarterback since middle school, <laughs> didn't work. It was terrible. Maybe mm. Allen Robinson's the problem. Maybe Allen Robinson's the Not problem. Not Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. Harsh. And... Maybe. No, it's not. But, like, first thing I would fix is, like, Stafford and Robinson should be, like, living together this offseason and throwing every day and getting on the same page. If they do tap into Allen Robinson's skill set properly with Cooper Cup out there back healthy and Tyler Higby still there at tight end – it's back to being a dangerous offense again as long as they can protect. So we're going to go to the free agency route on the offensive line. We're going to make sure Allen Robinson and Matthew Stafford become best friends. We'll sprinkle in our 2-2 Atwell and Van Jefferson as we need to. The pieces are there offensively, and then we have to get – just got to get people in the secondary, man. You got to get those, those three starters. I think that's where a lot of the draft should be focused. At 36, there could be a corner available there. So I think it's offensive line and secondary for me. Maybe pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line, I think, is really everything. They need to focus so hard on that, and I think that fixes a lot of problems. The offensive line? Yeah. Do we fix the Rams? Yeah, more or less. Any other uh, players we want to tie them to? Would be a good... What would drafting in the offensive line look like in the second? It's a weird group of... There's not a lot of strength for the interior. Yeah, we, we've, we've said Osiris Torrance for every team in the 20s, much like we've said Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Yeah, Steve Avila a little bit lower down. You know, there's a lot – there's there's quite a gap, though, between um, where we're expecting the top tackles to go, or Skaronsky if we're talking about him as a guard, and the conventional interior offensive linemen. Those guys show up a lot lower down in the draft. Um, Emmanuel Forbes could be a good corner. 42 on our board. I'll say the the one place where the my uh, my draft model has struggled, second round corners. Hmm. So go opposite my model, second round corner. Mind you, we're also saying like these guys appear much lower down the draft, like mere months after the Patriots decided to draft the guy in the first that everybody had as a third rounder. So I know we're just going off. I, I try to use the consensus board too because it's probably going to be a little bit. Cl- it's definitely going to be closer than the PFF draft board, but we're just trying to give basic ranges where you might take a look at some of these players. But I think there's some corner opportunities in the second, maybe fewer interior O-line opportunities. But anyway, we fixed the Rams. Gave them some options. All right. San Francisco 49ers. We've got two teams left to discuss here. The uh, 49ers coming off of uh, their big year. Brock Purdy got his elbow surgery 
or non-surgery coming up this offseason. Biggest free agents, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. Also, you got Emmanuel Mosley, Jimmy Ward in the secondary, Tayshawn Gibson at safety. So they're another one of those teams where they've got, you know, some missing starters or more than uh, than others around the league. Yeah. He's got his non-surgery coming up this offseason. Is that non-surgery. A, a thing? It's rehab. We'll call it his prehab. Okay, yeah. It's probably Look, closer. Sometimes I'm in the middle of talking and I don't know where the words are going to go. Yeah. So you say non-surgery. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, yeah, the 49ers don't have a ton of uh, cap space, nor do they have a ton of ability to create a lot of cap space. Um, they So they're not, I think, going to be massive players in free agency. They might also have reached the point where they're penny-pinched enough that – uh, they're not even in the market to bring back a guy like Mike McGlinchey. They just can't play at that kind of financial level this offseason. Their big thing is... You know where they could play? Where? Kelvin Beecham market. <laughs> yes. Yes, they could. The Their big starting point is, okay, which one of these quarterbacks is our quarterback, and therefore what do we do with the other one? Because if it's Brock Purdy, then Trey Lance is probably on the trade block. Is he, though? Yes. Why? Why? Because you just gave his job to somebody else. So what? So trade him away and get something back. You need a backup anyway. And there's still a chance that Trey Lance is good. But the backup doesn't have to be Trey Lance. It can be. It can be, but like you could He's getting paid a backup rate. Yeah. You still don't know exactly what he is. He's got some run game component to him. Uh For the third straight year, I will predict that Trey Lance as the backup will will have his own package. Right, and even though Kyle Shanahan never does that, I'll still predict it anyway. Mm-hmm. Keep Trey Lance as your backup, just like last year I said, keep Jimmy G as your backup, Niners. And look at that; it was good for them until they didn't need him anymore. Yeah, I'm just—they might be able to get something quite good back in a trade for Trey Lance. True, I would explore it. I would explore it. Um, it, it, it is interesting because the—I mean, look, I, I know they already reset from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance. The Brock Purdy deal not to completely overrate the rookie contract thing, but the Brock Purdy deal could be coming at the exact perfect time while all these other guys have to get paid. You know, you've already got Kittle and Trent Williams and Debo Samuel. You've got those guys making a ton of money, but um, we know Nick Bosa is due for his big payday. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is going to be due for a payday soon. Fred Warner's already making a ton of money. Trevarius Ward. Like, you could, you can get a lot of your stars locked up now in part because Brock Purdy is going to be making pennies now if you really believe in him as the as the guy going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's even – we use the term rookie quarterback contract like they're all the same. But the quarterback contract for a guy getting picked in the top ten is vastly different to the deal that Brock Purdy is on, which is paying him almost nothing for a few years. That – I mean, that's a goldmine if they can – if they trade away Trey Lance, get that contract off the books and um, – take advantage of exactly how cheap that is. Yeah, it's potentially huge. What do you think you can get back for Trey Lance? Who would trade for Trey Lance? I think somebody's willing to give up a second for him, at least. Yeah. And I'd be okay with that. I mean, obviously, three first-round picks into a second-round pick is not great, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, the goal at the end of that is to find a quarterback, Mm -hmm. right? And even though you found him with the last pick in the draft— you still got there, right? It's okay to look at that and say you got there. I'm not. I'm, I don't know. I don't think you. I, I don't think you need to tie those together. You it's don't just, have to. You you took a swing at a quarterback. You thought this guy was going to be amazing. 
And whether you haven't seen it from him yet, but you've all of a sudden found a guy who does look to be really good, and you're going to go in that direction anyway. So your three first-round picks thing didn't work, but it's a sunk cost. Like, it's done. So your options are, do we trade this guy away for potentially a second-round pick and maybe something more? Or is he worth more than that on the roster as contingency for Brock Purdy? I would argue it's probably worth more to trade him away. Like that's the so that's the conversation. The fact I don't think you even need to get into the the process of the trade sure. to get yeah, him fine. and what that means for like the other one. Just this is the situation we're in. Do the Niners feel? I mean, they, it feels good in San Francisco right now because they're a very very good team and they may have uncovered a a really solid starter who runs this offense well in Brock Purdy. They have uh, they have ten draft picks, but they don't pick until pick ninety nine. Mm-hmm. bunch of comp picks in there uh, because of the Christian McCaffrey trade as well. That's another place where there's a lot of money locked up and everything. Do they feel a little fragile like the Rams last year at this time? The Rams were picking right around 100 with their first pick, and they were just star heavy and a little fragile because the depth wasn't there. Do the, uh, the Niners are going to lose a lot of depth this offseason, and they're going to have to replenish it with these 10 draft picks, maybe more if they trade Trey Lance. Just saying they might be more they might actually be more fragile under the surface than than it seems oh, I mean, the depth chart. There's a lot this is not the Eagles roster. Like there's a lot wrong with this roster, um, despite the fact that they've been an incredibly good team and they have this insane nucleus of playmakers plus presumably Brock Purdy as their quarterback going forward. Number one, they're also hemorrhaging coaching talent, which is probably not a great thing. Like, they lost D'Amico Ryans to the Houston Texans, their defensive coordinator, who's now their head coach. D'Amico Ryans started raiding the rest of the coaching staff to bring with him. Obviously, PFF underscore Bobby going to be the offensive coordinator, but they lost other coaches as well. So not only have you got to be concerned about the free agent talent that's leaving, and it's quite a lot, you also have to think that we're losing coaches as well, and that certainly can't help. So... I think Does actually, it all fall apart without Bobby? I don't think it falls apart. Oh, well, yeah, that's of course. Um, but I think they actually need to throw some resources on the defensive side of the ball in particular and make sure that that offensive line doesn't collapse. Yeah, someone in the chat does remind us, and part of the reason why I was not on the uh, trade Trey Lance bandwagon is because of the elbow injury. If it's like a border, like if it's a torn ACL, I mean um, UCL. MC, UCL, if it is tommy john worthy and you're gonna like rehab it and this like there's there's some risk in just rehabbing it and getting it back and all that stuff yeah because you, you're, you're gonna pay eight million for a good backup anyway why not have a guy that like a trey lance with with upside theoretical upside that you haven't even seen yet he's got 500 snaps to his name since since juco <laughs> yeah right there's some theoretical upside there either way i'm a yeah I'm not overrating the fact that they don't, you know, they 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 don't have draft picks and all that stuff. It just they're they're in this spot, much like the Rams. I think you have to you have to hit on some of those of those ten picks, round three or later. You have to start hitting on some of those and fill in, find a starting linebacker, find a rotational edge, maybe steal a starting corner because they're going to get um, they're going to be strapped because of all these other deals. So that's where they are. They're bordering on the stars and scrubs. Scrubs uh, roster view here. I mean, I think they really need to add, start adding some bodies in free or on defense this offseason, whether it's free agency and or the draft. Um, they've got a pretty good nucleus. It's not like the whole thing's falling apart, but 
there's a lot of spots that they're losing players. They there's a lot of spots where the depth is a little bit questionable. Um, they're in a good situation. I'm not saying this is a terrible roster or anything like that, but right. they actually have some work to do as opposed to some other teams where you look at them and you're like, there's very little to mess with on this roster. All right, so uh, mid-round corners, offensive line depth. But they've got some uh, some starters to fill. Get Kel- Kelvin Beecham on the cheap. You can afford him. They'd be an right intriguing tackle. landing spot for a Garrett Bradbury if he's dirt cheap. Um, in that scheme. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan, more than any of those other Shanahan disciples, I think has had a positive effect on offensive linemen through the years, in addition to, you know, every other position. But, like, I think his impact on offensive linemen in particular is greater than any of those other Shanahan coaching tree uh, people. Um, they got to Sean Gibson late in the process as well, right? When did he sign? Wasn't he a Bradbury-type signing? I don't know if it was after the draft, but it was it was late. They brought in Gibson making $1.1 million last year to just be a good, solid safety. I think that's another one. Like just second, third third wave of free agency, stitch in some of those those starters. That's what the Niners offseason looks like right here. Mm-hmm. Go do that after guys get cut. Did we fix the Niners? Yeah, they didn't need much fixing. Super Bowl. Pretty good. Seattle Seahawks, let's wrap it up here. Um, the Seahawks have uh, Geno Smith as a free agent here. Puna Ford, who you mentioned earlier, Cody Barton, Bruce Irvin, a free agent after they pulled him out of free agency, off the couch to play this year. Um, Austin Blythe at center, Marquise Goodwin. So not a lot of big names other than quarterback and Geno Smith also have pick number five in the draft thanks to the Denver Broncos trade. What's the first order of business here with Seattle? Of course, it's quarterback. So what are you doing at QB? Yeah, it's Gino. I I think I'm trying to extend him. Um, the question is what the contract's going to look like. Cautiously, right? right? Cautiously extend. Well, that's the th- that's what I want to do. What I want to do is extend him with as many protections and get out clauses as humanly possible within the realms of like negotiation. But presumably, he's coming from the opposite side of I want huge money as fully guaranteed as possible. Pay me, you know and where you can end up with that contract, who knows? It sounds like, I think Brad was saying yesterday that the negotiations sound like they're going well. Like this doesn't, it's not a Lamar Jackson situation where they're miles apart and show no sign of getting on the same page. It sounds like whatever that deal looks like, it's going to happen and, and work out. Obviously from, a, from the team point of view, you want it to be as team friendly as possible. But I think Gino showed last year that he can do some very, very good things. You just piqued my interest by mentioning... Lamar Jackson. What if Seattle, who now has pick five and 20 in this draft, what if they went the Lamar Jackson route hmm. on a, in a franchise tag trade? Give what up the two firsts. You have three firsts over the next two years. You're giving up a double tag and trade. What if you trade them Gino? No, I don't think, I don't think the Ravens want Gino. You don't think the Ravens want Gino? No. Why not? I think they'd rather have pick five. Gino, play, we'd have five and Gino. I'm not saying like straight up. I'm saying yeah, maybe number five, Gino, plus maybe some stuff for Lamar Jackson. You don't think that they would want Gino as part of a deal? Maybe. I don't, what? How does the franchise is the franchise tag trade? It could be anything, or it's got to be. Uh, 
It's the exclusive that needs the two yeah, first. Yeah, it's the non-exclusive this can be any, two first rounds. This can be anything. This can be anything. This is just a trade. You've just tagged them. And, and we keep saying two first because that's likely the going rate for Lamar, if not more. I mean, right? I think it's more. That's just the the non-exclusive starting. That's the, the automatic the, one. Can you do a double tag and trade? I don't know. Yeah, why not? Sure, let's do that. No, uh, let's not I do just that. Wonder We're re-signing Geno. Seattle's back after after the draft capital. Two years ago, they had only three draft picks. Last year, they drafted like 12 times or whatever it was, and they brought in starters. Every two starting tackles, Tariq Woolen at corner. I mean, they just – Kenneth Walker running back. They replenished the roster last year at this time. You stick Lamar Jackson on this roster? They're not – stop it. They're not trading for Lamar Jackson. They're, Why? Because they just got Geno coming off a really good year. They're going to pay Geno. Okay, here's the question I wanted to pose. Should we, should we re-sign Geno Smith? Can you think of any other quarterbacks who kind of had a, a random breakout season – that you just didn't really believe in or that we shouldn't have believed in, right? Like a guy looked really good. Or say Daniel Jones. Like did Daniel Jones have a breakout season this year where something tangibly changed that you believe in him now? Um, Josh McCown comes to mind. It was a small sample, but he had this incredible 2013 with the Bears, signed a big free agent deal with the Bucks, and it just all went south. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is the other one that comes to mind, right? Mm-hmm. He just he had the breakout with the Titans. And then it becomes a you know three year contract thirty million type of type of uh, a year type of guy. I think Geno's closer to like things changed in his career. They weren't just a a blip. Well, he's closer like to like a McCown. Yeah, he's closer to Ryan Tannehill than any of the guys that showed a run of random good play and then never yeah. did again. So my point in all that is, I would say like Nick Foles put together some of the greatest games in NFL history, and yeah, it doesn't didn't matter. I never looked at Nick Foles' Super Bowl run and said. Give me more of that. I'm going to sign it because I know it's coming to me. I'd, right. It's like, no, he's going to regress. And it's, it's like probably week that, one. That was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened. Yeah. It won't be happening more. But Geno Smith, I think even though the turnover-worthy plays were high, and we cited that a few times, like the, things were different for Geno Smith. Mobility, yeah. feel, big-time throws, things were different. I'm willing to give him, but I want a Derek Carr-like out, a Jimmy Garoppolo-like sure. out. I, yeah. I want like two years. I want to be able to get out of this in two years. I think that's reasonable. So you get you get your big payday. You're going to get your 30. You're going to make 60 million bucks here at least, right. Gino. You're going to make 60, but we need an out after two years. That's the thing. I think Gino, I think that's probably why the negotiations are seemingly okay because if you're Gino Smith and you've had the career he's had, number one, you've got like a reasonable amount of money for being in the NFL for like 10 years. Number two, if if you had Geno Smith's career up until this point and then somebody was about to throw you $80 million maybe over the next couple of years that you're likely to take home, Sold. you would consider that a pretty good result for the end, you know, uh, the totality of your NFL career. You're like, you're probably going to emerge from this thing, this NFL career with $100 million overall. Like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll take that. Thank you. Yes. So I think that's probably what it ends up looking like. They're going to re-sign Gino. He's going to get you know some sort of decent-looking deal that has an iron after a couple of years. Everybody's happy. So the other option is draft a quarterback at five. No, not even that's not even on the table. I I mean it. It is, I guess, if they don't. Not if they sign Gino. Like it's an either-or thing. All right. So now at five, a lot of people are pairing them with uh, an edge defender. Daniel Jeremiah's mock, I think, would be the best-case scenario for Seattle, which is. Um, was it Arizona? Somebody picked Tyree, Tyree Wilson mm. from Texas Tech over Will Anderson in the top four, letting Will Anderson fall to five. I think Anderson's the best 
non-quarterback in this draft. Oh, that would be a dream. Yes, that's I think like, that's that'd be my dream if I'm Seattle at five. Then. That's like Detroit getting Aiden Hutchinson last year. Like yes. the guy was supposed to go number one, all of a sudden falls into your lap at number two, and you run the pick up to the podium or whatever the virtual yeah. equivalent of that is these days. The Tyree Wilson connection scares me a little bit. We'll have plenty of time to talk that, talk about that, and break him down in probably the similar ways we talked about Trayvon Walker last year and the the risk associated with a, a Tyree Wilson pick. Yeah. But my best case scenario is Will Anderson. But you got five and twenty. For draft picks here i don't think you need to force as bad as the defensive line is or the pass rush i don't think you need to force an edge rush pick here at five if it's not will anderson or jalen carter i don't think you need to force a pass rusher there so what other options does seattle have here right because the other safe plays are tackle they just they've, they've got their two tackles they're both rookies what are the other plays here for seattle at five i think that's i mean i would look at corner uh, always, right? Opposite Tariq Woolen. Do you go with uh, Christian Gonzalez? I mean, I, not, I, Devin Witherspoon's higher on our board, and I might like Witherspoon better than Gonzalez, but just the size of Christian Gonzalez and the size of Tariq Woolen, this feels like uh, an exciting time to be Pete Carroll if he had both of those guys on the outside. Yeah, I mean, they're... <laughs> It's going to be an interesting draft for once you get beyond what we think is two, essentially, blue-chip guys. You know, Anderson... Jalen Carter, then there's a bunch of these teams that pick six, five, six, and then down to like the middle teens where it doesn't feel like there's great value for a lot of spots that teams are going to be looking at. But, you know, you got to pick somebody. So those teams, I think, are in kind of a tough spot. Like Seattle, this is probably the first of those picks. If you don't get lucky and get a Will Anderson and you actually have to make a pick at five. There's always that pivot point, right, in the yeah. draft. And this this is one of those pivot points. This feels like you have a choice of a lot of players, almost none of whom you feel good about at that spot. And every year we talk trade possibilities. The trade possibility would be if the Panthers needed to jump the Raiders for, or, or the Falcons, right? The Panthers at nine, Falcons are at eight, Raiders are at seven, three teams who could all be in the QB market. If one of those, if their top guy, if Bryce Young's fallen or whatever it is, somebody that Anthony Richardson's fallen, somebody they love, you could be in the trade down market. I'd be happy with the trade down here, not because they don't want a blue chip player in Seattle, but because I don't know if there's any beyond the top two defensive linemen. I don't know how clean the draft class is at the top compared to previous years. We're like the Panay Sewells and Jamar Chases of the world were on the board. Also, if Seattle has drops down a little bit, I think another receiver there for them, another corner, as I mentioned, for every team, receivers and corners, but the value could really match up at 20 for one of those spots. I think they really need a guy that can excel in the slot because they don't have that, really. All their receivers play better outside. Tyler Lockett is the one that looks like he should be a slot receiver, but isn't. No, he's an outside guy. Yeah. Right. Um, now, he played in the slot a reasonable amount last year, but a lot of that was just because nobody else is, right? Freddie Swain was the guy playing in the slot primarily, and he's just not good. And we know Lockett's not a yak guy. He's a downfield. Yeah. He's an intermediate downfield type of threat. And DK Metcalf, obviously, is your like prototypical outside X receiver type of I thing. I know where so. you're going with this. Do you? They call JSN? Oh, okay. Sure. Is that um, where you're going? I wasn't going anywhere. I was making, merely making the point that they need oh, that player Jackson Smith at some and point. Jigba. By the way, I can't stand when people just use the abbreviations when they're like not. Sure. Like everybody knows who OBJ is, right? Like JSN. 
Like I gotta like rack my brain to figure out. No, I'm okay with that because until it's until it's more mainstream. The ones that annoy me are the ones that use an abbreviation where it's not actually any shorter in syllables than just saying the name. No, that's fair. But Jackson Smith and Jigba is significantly longer than JSN. Yeah, but JSN just hasn't caught on yet, so it's just it's just not triggering yet in my brain. How about him at twenty as a fit here? For this offense. Yeah. I, he becomes I like your slot guy with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now we're cooking with Geno. I mean, I think that's – yeah, I think that's good. I like him as a player. I think he's a weird player, but one that fits and obviously succeeds in the slot. Um, I just, again, Addison fits anywhere. That guy does everything well. He can play in the slot as well. I think that's a, that's a pick that works. I think there's quite a lot of receivers in this draft that would thrive in the slot. I think a more realistic pick, and again, I apologize for repeating myself with the same players. But Gabe Jackson at right guard is in the last year of his contract. He's not great at this point in his career. Osiris Torrance, who we've given to a lot of teams, though. But him at 20, or after a trade down, perhaps, in the 20s, have him come in, play guard, or at least be the guard you know, in the future when Gabe Jackson's done. That would be such a Seattle, Pete Carroll type of pick. Shore up the offensive line, add the best interior run blocker in the, in, the, in the draft. I mean, if they were able to trade down, I think all the picks that you didn't feel great about at five are suddenly on the table and looking great. Like, right, that's why you want to... Miles Murphy on the edge. Oh, yeah. You feel like great that. about, you know, five, ten picks lower down than you do at number five. Um, the cornerbacks you were talking about, Christian Gonzalez. If you can get into the teens and still draft Christian Gonzalez as opposed to picking him at five, suddenly you feel way better about that. The, the receivers, like... Yeah, I think in a trade down for Seattle is the second most optimal result from having you know Will Anderson drop into your lap. Um, the other place, so Seattle's got decent cap space. That'll change a little bit with the Geno Smith contract. But um, the other place where they might look is just overall pass rusher defensive line has to get better next year. And then linebacker, like their entire front seven needs some love in Seattle. Jordan Brooks got hurt at the end of last year. Cody Barnes a free agent. So linebacker, they might be a team that taps into, like they might be a team that falls in love with a Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, uh, yeah, Tremaine. A Tremaine Edmonds in free agency, a Leighton Van Der Esch mm-hmm. in free agency. And they're another team that I would be working hard to just add bodies as pass rushers in there. They've got some cap space, uh, but they don't have a ton of room to free up more. So they could spend, but probably not a massive amount. So I think it's a lot of um, it's a lot it's another year of draft building, but I think getting um, second wave baby. They got nine draft picks though, so it's another year. Second most in the uh, NFL in terms of sort of val- draft value when you consider where those draft picks are. Four picks in the top fifty-one. Mm-hmm. Where are they in draft value? Second. Yeah, it only feels the, like it. Only the Texans have a more valuable draft haul oh. than they have. It's going to be a good test, right? Because I don't think Seattle's drafted well for the majority of the last ten years since mm. they drafted better than anybody right last year's draft was incredible we always talk about the cyclical nature of it like you can't just hit on all your picks but if they have another year like last year where they just keep hitting and bringing in starters maybe that's how they do it they did it's just like a cycle where we're going to draft generally poorly for like a decade and then have one year we just knock it out of the park and do it all over again yeah well that's what they did last year so it was an impressive haul for the seahawks all right did we fix the seahawks yeah Gave him a bunch of stuff to do. And re-sign Geno. And re-sign Geno. I'm more on the re-sign Geno Smith bandwagon than I was previously. Do you want to re-sign Drew Locke? I hear he's pushing Geno the whole way. He's neck and neck in this quarterback race. More importantly, are you going to bring back Rashad Penny? Always. Always. Poor guy. Uh, Let me put you in a bind here. Would you rather have Rashad Penny (laughs) or Boston Scott? Oh, 
or Boston Scott? I mean, Boston Scott. Why not ironic, both? Ironically, for a guy of his stature, has been significantly more durable in his NFL career. How about that? Than Rashad Penny. Size is overrated when it comes to durability. One other thing I'm going to throw out there. I want Michael Mayer going to every team as well. You do. If they had a Michael Mayer type. Starting to sound that way. Yeah. I see Mike. Uh, I know it sounds like fantasy football, but theoretically, if Seattle just was like, give me receivers and tight ends with my two picks, and I just got whatever receiver, Quentin Johnston and Michael Mayer. There must have been. To add to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Wouldn't that feel pretty good? Sure. There must have been an update to the big board because I see Dalton Kincaid has jumped Michael Mayer in the PFF big board. Well, good, because that's, uh, that's what the model suggests. Really? I thought I was crazy because I had a 240-pound tight end at the top. But they're like one, they're, I think they're one and two in the model as of now production-wise, pre-workout. 240 is fine. Yeah, it's just more H-backy when you're talking to the, the top guy. Mayer's more of an inline all around. Yeah, it does yeah. seem like Mayer, so Notre Dame fans have been battling Georgia fans over the last couple of years for who's the best tight end in the nation between Michael Mayer and Brock Bowers. Bowers is a sophomore and a, probably the closest thing since, the closest thing to Travis Kelsey, I think, as a player. Mm-hmm. So they've been battling, going hard that like Michael Mayer is the best tight end in, in college football. But now as draft analysts get to look at him, he's not a slam dunk top tight end. He's fallen down to two and three on other boards. So just interesting. The mayor's dropping a little bit. So I don't even know if he ends up going in the first with other people souring on him a little bit. Tight end evaluation has been weird the last few years. I mean, obviously you've got Kyle Pitts breaking everything because he's this weird unicorn that wasn't really a tight end, was just a super freak. But then even guys were like, that guy's really good, was the entire offense, and we don't really have too many problems with him. So yeah, it's still, you know, second or third round. Yeah. What? All right. And then Kyle Pitts, screwing the whole thing up. Yeah, number four overall. All right, how do we feel? Good show? Do we have a good show? I think it was it's, good. It's not for us to judge. It's for others. How is it that we could be over two hours into this, and I feel like maybe I, I didn't bring everything to the table. I didn't solve everything perfectly for everybody. I yeah. wish we could do more. Well, but that's all these, we can do. Yeah, these conversations are taking multiple hours within each individual building, and we're summarizing it in, for every team. In five minutes. Yeah. All right. So that's it for us today. We're going to have one more show. We're three quarters of the way through the league. We'll do the Souths uh, Monday morning. Might record it Sunday night. We'll see. Did you figure that out yet? What Not you yet. Want to do? All right. We'll figure that out. Either live Monday morning or uh, live to tape Sunday night, and you'll get it Monday. Mm-hmm. So that's your, that's your thing. Congratulations to us, award-winning podcast. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. Be sure to hit the thumbs up on the way out. Watch all our Fixing the Team series. And uh, watch yesterday's show with Brad. We'll see you again Monday morning.